everybody get set, let's go. It's the next episode. It's the Premium Pete Show. News, interviews, all of the info. Listen up, it's the Premium Pete Show. If you want the scoop in the low, down low. Listen to the show, cause Milk said so. Fuck what you heard, better act like you know. It's the premium Pete show. I'm so excited about this episode. This was the Atlanta live stop of the premium Pete show live tour. It was our first stop. It was in Atlanta during A3C. Shouts to everybody who came out. Everybody who was there celebrating us. Man, we had the Grillo's Pickles table, our sponsor. That shit was dope. We had Jason Mark there, okay, with all the sneaker cleaning products. We had the College of Hip Hop. And, of course, we had so many different people stop by. Friends of mine, but more so friends of ours. I really, really enjoyed that episode. I'm so glad. Shouts to Jonathan Mena. We were able to tape that episode and now make it an Atlanta live tour, live show episode. So excited for it, man. So let's get to it. We're going to start off with the first guest, KP, man, Kwan Prather. For those that don't know Kwan, man, you're going to find out right now when we get to it. He talks about working with Pharrell, T.I., winning a Grammy and more. Let's get to it. How y'all doing? <laughs> All right. Um, I'm Kawan Prather. Everybody knows me as KP for the most part. Um, I work for a guy named Pharrell Williams, and I run his music company, um, or the music part of his company, I Am Other. And we've been friends since 1998, maybe. Like, he did T.I.'s first single. Like, before he was all the way, you know, before it was Neptune's Neptune's. And before T.I. was considered the king of the South, he did. I'm serious. And, um, but we've known each other forever. Um, and I was working on this, on this artist, Cap G. And we took him down to Miami. Pharrell was doing some work. Um, he had a beat plan, and he had, like, a bridge. And it didn't end. And I, I had an idea. I said it. He said, oh, shit, that's dope. All right, let's keep that. Two years later, that track went to Kendrick Lamar. It went through a couple of people. Wait, do you know who? Yeah, but I wouldn't do that. Okay. Um, <laughs> so it went through a couple of people, and Kendrick, he found the space in the song. Like, he found his his place in it. Whereas other people, they rapped on it, but it didn't have that same emotion. So Pharrell called me one day and was like, yo, Kendrick came and did the record. It's coming out next week. Mm. So you win a Grammy, and you know, does that affect your career? Like, I mean, does your price change? Or, you know, for anything you do, my price. I, I don't <laughs> think about that. Like, you know me what I mean? It, it, no, no, no. I will say for a fact, absolutely. The idea of no, the Grammy changed some things. Um, as a DJ, I definitely got more bookings faster. Mm-hmm. Like, I think people, you know, they look at it as a marketing thing. It gives validation to all the work I've done. Like, I've been doing this. Since 1993, I got my Grammy 20 years later for the most part. I mean, like 20-something years later. So you grew up here in Atlanta? I grew up in Atlanta, born and raised, um, a Grady baby, Grady Hospital, born in, I was raised in Vine City, which is close to here as well. Um, I probably lived everywhere in Atlanta. Like, I have family that lived in East Lake Meadows and Decatur. I lived in Riverdale. I lived in College Park. I lived in the Swats. So it's almost probably the reason why I'm I'm good at what I do A and R wise because I was always used to figuring out how to how to find myself in a room that I ended up in because of moving around. So moving much. around and just and understanding and respecting where I went that there was a culture there. You know, for people who don't know you, you know, a lot of people credit you as fine uh, signing Ti. 
You know? That's true. Okay. Explain <laughs> explain that story. Um, okay, so I started out in the music business in a group called Parental Advisory. And it was me, a guy named Big Reese, and Melo Capone. We produced a lot of our music. Um, Jason Jeter, who managed TI at the time, worked at Patchwork Studios, mm-hmm. where we were recording. He met Reese and told him about Tip. Um, Reese called me. I was on my way to the studio. And at the time, I was working at LaFace as well. And I was in the middle of getting um, my own production deal, Ghetto Vision. And it just so happens that Reese hit me that day. I met this guy. He came in the studio. And, you know, he was, you know, he was cocky. He was, he was very, no, he was sure of himself. He was extremely sure. But when you, when you say someone is sure of himself, I mean, there's so many ways that, you know, there's people we met that are, are confident. There's people that are cocky. Like, what makes you say that? Like, what did he do that makes you say that he came off very sure of himself? Well, there was never a point where he was scared. Like, I think um, being in the studio for the first time, well, not for the first time, but being in the studio where something can change your, your world, he came in and it didn't phase him. He came in, he was focused, he was clearly prepared. So when I asked him, the first thing I asked him before he started getting too much into who he was and how dope he was, I was like, okay, well, rap. And he was like, you got a beat? And we were working on a record. And it was a record called Down Flat on um, Parental, Parental Advisory album. And the beat came up. He went in maybe 10 minutes. And he wrote the verse there. I saw him, like, because of what he said, I know that was a, a new verse. He did it 10 minutes, smashed. So the next day, I was going to L.A. to go to the Source Awards. It was the year that Watch for the Hook was up. So the guys, my crew, the Dungeon family was performing. So I was like, yo, you want to come out to L.A. with me? And it was funny because he was like, I don't know, let me check my schedule. Like, yeah, nigga, whatever. Um, <laughs> I, but, but, you know, he came to L.A., we went out, and the way he handled himself inside of our camp, like traveling around, like at this point, Outcast is Outcast, Goody sure. Mob is it's the Watch for the Hook moment. So he was in the middle of Atlanta, basically. Like what hip-hop was for Atlanta, he, he was sitting in that room. And there was like a little freestyle session that happened on the back of the bus. And he jumped in like double dutch and just went for it. And it was the day that I saw him gain his respect. So to me, I was like, okay, you're good. If you're not scared here, you'll be fine wherever else I take you. Did, did anyone at that time like didn't believe in him or didn't, like would tell you like, ah, you know, I s- yeah, I think any anybody that's special, people are going to tell you that's not, it's like they don't get it because it's different from what's happening. And here's a kid, you know, a light-skinned kid from the west side, no tattoos, no gold grill, you know, and he's talking the most street shit. Mm-hmm. But he's saying it from a place where it's it's perspective. It's not just I'm tough. It's like here's what I see. And, you know, I think that was that was a different side of Atlanta at the time. You know, and people kind of likened him to a Jay-Z, not because he was from the north or because he had an accent. It was because he can rap really well. And he was the rubber band man. And he was a rubber band man. Hey, listen, people, I, I tell you, I think people for some reason are fascinated when people pull out rubber bands and money. And I remember growing up in Brooklyn and like, it's funny because it's like some of those guys, now I look back at it, I looked up to them. They would pull out like a stack of money. They'd be at the bagel store and something was like $5. They pull out a stack, take 10 years to fucking pay. And, and I'll be honest with you, what I realized later on is I was looking up to the wrong people because those, that's all they had on them. They took out everything they had. They didn't have no bank, you know, like accounts like Yeah, the rubber like band that. was the bank. Yeah, yeah. You know, you worked on Happy with uh, Pharrell, right? Well, well you Pharrell. had... You, 
I worked with Pharrell during Happy, yes. What, okay, what I heard what I heard was that they were going to give that song to another artist. Okay, that's public knowledge. Okay. So we, we did this record in, in hopes of doing it for CeeLo. Mm. And, you know, we went and cut the record. We did a lot of work on it with CeeLo. But, you know, just label stuff happened, and mm. it just didn't fit him at that time. So as things worked out, Pharrell ended up doing it himself. Do you think it would have been as big if it was another artist? Shit, um, I don't know. I don't have my crystal ball. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's big as shit. Like, it's a big record. So I don't know how much bigger it could have been. But, you know, CeeLo at the time was one of the bigger artists. Sure. He was much bigger than Pharrell was at that moment as an artist. You know, you've been in this music industry for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, you recently, well, I wouldn't say recently, but you're starting to DJ more. Right? You're starting to come out. DJing more and doing things like that. Do you feel DJs are respected in this day and age? Um, I think some are. I think really dope DJs are respected, but that's probably a different question than, and, and I, I could be reading into it. I don't know if DJs get there just do financially all the time, but mm. I think people respect the fact that if you have a really great DJ, you have a better time wherever you are. Sure. But, I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm from a generation where I notice. Mm. So I don't know what things matter to someone not myself. I love your mind because <laughs> as you're talking to me, I know you're thinking like, does he mean this or does he mean that? Like, you know, thinking way more into it. And and, and that's what a, a creative mind does. Yeah, spin. I, I'm deep. I'm, I'm digging into this. Do you like, sleep at all? Ooh. Uh, I sleep about three, four hours. Yeah. Yeah, I sleep. It's t- I, the reason why I say that for is because... Being, in, being in, in the music industry for that long and still having your hand into it to this day, I'm sure there's people that you wanted to sign or things that you, maybe you wanted to do that, that, that passed you up. Is there, is there not a regret, but is there someone that you want to sign that slipped through you? That I wanted to sign that I didn't get. You know what? Nah. At the time, like I've, I've signed, I've wanted to, to do business with people, but... It tends to work itself out for me to work with the people I'm supposed to work with. So I never have regretted it. Um, the only thing I, I have regretted, the fact that sometimes people would go with other situations for the money as opposed to the opportunity sometimes. Mm. Like, because sometimes you can see a path for for people creatively, but they see a check. Because, you know, I've been in a couple situations where we've had bidding wars for people. Mm. And I might have been the first person to see them. And at that moment, it's like, oh, great. Love you, KP. It's, oh, we're going to do this. It's going to be a beautiful thing. And then someone comes in like, oh, I heard KP likes it. Oh, let's check into it. Oh, wow, that is good. And then the money comes in, and then the decision-making gets different for artists. For people who may not know, um, name some of the people you have signed. Um, okay. Let's see. T.I., Youngbloods, um, John Legend. John Legend? Um, Explain how that happened. Oh. You can't just pass by that one. Oh, um, no, I was okay. So, after working at LaFace Records, where I started at doing NR, um, I grew to the point where I got offers outside of it. So, I went to Sony Records. Um, at the time, it was Columbia Records. And I was working on, I think, Bow Wow, Omarion. Like, I did like the Omarion 21 and 19 albums, like um, with Touch and those records. But. John Legend was signed. He had he was signed to Kanye already. Mm-hmm. And good music, good music, yes. And John Monopoly 
I remember him sending me this this at the time the CD, and I was in Atlanta because I commuted. I was working in New York, but I would live I was living here. So he sent me this CD, and I remember listening to it on a Saturday and losing my mind because it was "Used to Love Me" and this record um, "Stay." And they're like, basically, his whole album was done with the exception of "Ordinary People," mm. and you know, I I walked it through. And it's, it's, it's one of those easy things because everybody takes credit for it now. Like, it worked. But at the time, it was weird because you got these conversations of, well, what is it? It's like, it doesn't sound like black music. Like, it's so proper. And it's a cappella piano songs. Like, what are we supposed to do with that? Like, who is that for? And it was kind of, John might have been one of the bigger things for me because it gave me a chance to, to fight for something that wasn't in the normal space at the time, but you knew from a classic space it was necessary for what music that we were putting out, like for the balance of the force almost. Mm -hmm. Who are some uh, others that you signed? Um, Cap G. Um, Cap G? Yes. That's recent, yeah. Um, That's a hometown, right? Absolutely. College Park. um, And Cap is, he went to the same high school I graduated from. So, and that same high school is high school that Outkast, Escape, Keenan from Saturday Night Live. Like, a lot of people went to this school. It was a, it's called Tri-Cities High School, School of the Performing Arts. Mm-hmm. And it kind of just bred a lot of talent. And it's not in, like, a, a place where you would think it would be. No, no, definitely. I mean, even in Brooklyn, you think of, like, sometime like, Brooklyn Tech or, you know, you think about all the schools, like... I forgot, you know, maybe Heavy Heavy D went to school and Special Ed or Big Daddy Kane. Like, there's a couple. Sometimes you get a crop of, of, of high schools that that people went to where you say, damn, that's a lot of talent. Yeah, that's like the Jungle Brothers, I think. Yeah, and yeah. Tribe Called Quest. Yeah, yeah. I mean, come on. Imagine imagine how those lunchroom beats were, you know, on on, on the desk, you know. Can I, mean, I kick it? Yeah, yes, you can. Room. Yo, the, the, I don't know how many people, but growing up in school, especially in New York, we used to... We used to bang on the lunchroom desk or the school desk, and, and that was the That's piece. universal. Okay, okay. I just want to make sure. Hey, listen, the traffic's not universal. <laughs> but um, one thing I always ask a lot of people, you've been through this music industry, you signed a lot of people, you, you gained a lot of success, I'm sure financially also. Sometimes. How do, how do you celebrate that? Like, how have you been able to celebrate your success? Because some people, I find, you know, all, 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 hearing these stories over the years, some of them don't celebrate their success. I don't know that I celebrate that much. Um, I celebrate it by actually showing up. Like, I, I, DJing is my celebration. Okay. Okay, but well, uh, let's say, what's your biggest accomplishment, you would say, in the music industry? Or just your career? What, what, what would you say is your biggest accomplishment that you're most proud of? In, uh, as far as music goes, I, I, it's got to be the Grammy. Michael Jackson got a Grammy. Okay. How did you celebrate that? <laughs> I took the Grammy on tour. I, went, I mean, <laughs> barbershop, everywhere I normally go, I took it with me, put it, the seatbelt on it, and we rolled. <laughs> we rolled around. My barber took pictures with it. Like, everybody in the barbershop Snapchatted with it. It was like, it was his, it was his tour. Yeah, it was like, it was fun as hell. See, see I... <laughs> You got a seatbelt. Took it to the hood. That's what I did. Hey, listen. You know, it, it's it's important. I feel like so many people sometimes wait. They want to wait until they get to a certain point, but then that point may never come. You yeah, no. Nah, you got to celebrate in your moments. But the thing is, I don't. I don't. I'm not a proponent for touchdown dances. Mm-hmm. Hey, listen, uh, KP man, uh, Atlanta zone, uh, definitely an inspiration. I feel like uh, 
you've done so much and laid so much groundwork um, that you're, it's inspiring. You know, it's funny. I speak to younger and older people from Atlanta, and when your name comes up, is is very well respected. And I think that I'm means blessed. something, especially when you're not hearing people say that. Uh, we'll take a couple of uh, questions from the crowd. If somebody has a question, and then we're going to move on to our next lovely guest. Oh, and I buy sneakers. Oh, that's right. You do. I know you stay fresh. This guy stays young. You want to tell people how old you are? I'm 44. You see this? That, Pharrell and him got some type of potion they got going on. Pharrell's magical. Yeah. It's in the air. See what happens? You work with Pharrell. You get, you, you, you get that potion. It's real. Anybody have any questions? Just a quick question. Hey, you can ask on the mic. Hold on. Just state your name and where you're from. I'm Javier. I'm from Atlanta. Uh, I just had a quick question. I just want to know if you took a shot out your Grammy like Drake did. Nah, because I'm just not sure what it's made of, and I didn't want to rust it. <laughs> like, I, I care about my I like my Grammy. I'm not disrespecting it. We really went on tour. Like, if I had security, I would have took security. I don't... Like, I like my Grammy. No Hennessy in the gram. No Hennessy. No, I drink and, Hennessy from my cup. <laughs> Anybody else have a question for KP? State your name, where you're from. Lamar Howard, Lithonia. I uh, want to know, what's your favorite sneaker? Jordan 4. Okay. Which one? Which one? Um, the OG, original, white, not those, not the hybrid. How, I'll, <laughs> ask you, I'll ask you something even on top of that. How old were you when you were able to buy your first pair of sneakers with your own money? I was 12. What? <laughs> I've always thought about, I've always hustled though. Okay. Like I figured it out early. Allegedly, there's no feds in the building. There. No, no, no. Hustling okay. doesn't necessarily, I didn't say I sold drugs. No, no I'm, I'm, I'm playing around. I'm playing. <laughs> Anybody else have any questions for KP? Oh, one more. Big Sean. Family. So you like you found a lot of artists and um you I know you've been around a lot more talent than the people that you actually signed. So what what in these people made you say these are the ones outside of the ones that you've been around, you know what I mean? I think there's a there's a commonality in um the way that the room shifts when stars walk in it. Like you can see it um like Cap G, T I and Pink kind of all yeah, they they all walk in a room the same, and and you notice that people notice them, whether they're speaking or not. And the thing that I like about those kind of people, it doesn't require them to put on. So I just look on look at people who people naturally gravitate towards. Honestly, Pink from Philly too. I just wanted to let you know that. That's what's up. <laughs> That's the ball. <laughs> Um, as you said, you started out with DJing, so I just wanted to know as far as the shift of the culture from the difference from the beginning of DJing until you came, what was some of the difference that you see from now and then? Um, it's a lot easier to to enter into DJing because it doesn't cost as much now. Um, when I started DJing, I was in eighth grade, ninth grade, and the first turntables I bought were like some belt drive. Well, they weren't, I didn't buy them. My mom bought them. Some like really cheap, 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 cheap turntables not technique 1200 not at all they were realistic from radio shack it were belt drive it, it they were the most horrible like you put three or four, four pieces of plastic under the record so it could slide it was ridiculous but but i learned on that right you had to go through steps you had to graduate to becoming a person who could have like the right equipment so you almost went through you had to go through training and I think the only difference now is, you know, in music in general, 
there's so much access to do what you want in your room that you don't have to necessarily get training. So sometimes you miss fundamentals. And I notice that there are a lot of DJs that DJ the exact same way because they're using the same buttons, the same four or five buttons to do it. They're not, they're not pushing the envelope in the equipment. With all the access that comes with smartphones, people do dumb shit with them, with all the ex- access that technology brings for DJing, people still don't expand it as much as they could. But I love that there's access to get to people and get to equipment. For creative people, it's the best time in the world. Like anything you want to do, you can get to it on your own. But then it's on you to learn how to find mentors and find people who can help you to push that craft. Because I think if we're going to have this forever, we got we to gotta keep, we got to learn the fundamentals so we don't mess that up. But we also have to push it. But it can't be one way or the other. For some reason, I always feel like the ending of either an episode or a person's statement is always the best. You know, that that was a gem. It was. It was a gem. Man, what what a story from Kawan Pranta, KP. I mean, just a real ATL icon, man. But more so, you know, around the world now has made his name so popular because motherfucker won a Grammy. Motherfucker signed T.I. First person to spot him. I mean, and so much more. Anyway, listen, this next person, man, um... Man, she, she talks about working in the industry as a woman. The legendary Birdman interview. Let's get to the one and only Angela Yee. Next person I want to bring up um, has uh, definitely been amazing to watch how, you know, how long and how much work she has put into her career. Um, you know, how you know, people look at something, they see success, and they think like it's overnight. Um, but she's definitely a hard worker, um, someone that I admire. Someone that I think a woman in, in hip-hop, a woman in the industry that um, I honestly want my, my daughter to uh, look at and be like, hey, you know, you should be like that. Um, Angela Yee, where are you? Uh-oh, she signed the TDE now. Um, well, first off, for those that don't know, uh, Angela Yee, uh, how many um, how many markets uh, is the Breakfast Club in now? Um, I don't know the exact number, but it's like seventy. It's funny because I remember whenever like I would ask her or Charlemagne or or or, um, or Envy, I would ask them like if I have I have them all on 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 the podcast, and I would ask them <clears throat> about Hot ninety seven. They're like, oh, we're in like seventy markets, and I was like, okay, I guess that's. Uh, that's the rebuttal, you know. But for those who don't know Angela Yee, um, long time in radio, long time working with people uh, like Wu-Tang, um, Sirius, a uh, bunch of shit. But more importantly, right now, I recently just seen her. She got into uh, Juices for Life with Styles P and uh, DJ Envy. For those that don't know, Styles P opened up a juice bar. Uh, they have them away, Yonkers. And, and in the Bronx, yeah. And then we just did the fourth one in Brooklyn. So I'm just partners in the one in Brooklyn. What made you even want, and this is, because this is a great thing, think about it. Somebody who's doing something, but then now putting their money into something else. What made you even want to get into that business? Well, I think it's really important that no matter what you do, I've learned this early on in business in general, is to just make sure that you're very diverse and you can't just have all your eggs in one basket. So... You know, I got my start doing marketing. And, well, I started off as an assistant for Wu-Tang. I was assistant to the CEO, Divine. 
And we just interviewed Method Man today, which was exciting because it's like full circle from my first job. And now I'm interviewing, you know, the people that I started off working with. But um, that was my, my first job, you know, working for Wu-Ting. And then after that, I did, um, I worked for Virgin Records. And then I did marketing, but I worked for like a bunch of different companies at one time. So I always had a lot of different checks coming in. And I realized how important that is because I never want to feel like, if something doesn't work out, I don't have anything else. Mm. And so I got to a point in my life where I get to do just kind of what I want to do. Like, I, I don't have to do everything. But when I was younger and trying to come up, I said yes to everything. Just because, like, I didn't turn down an interview. I didn't turn down an opportunity. I didn't turn down an appearance. Because I was really working hard on getting my name out there. And now my time is a lot more precious because I don't have a lot of it. Sure. So... I spend all my spare time trying to do things that mean a lot to me and things that I'm passionate about. Like buy shoes. I just left them all. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, how, how many shoes do you have? Cause shoes- I have no idea. I have no idea. I have so many pairs of shoes. I was just saying, I got to get rid of some of these. You know when a girl has a shoe that looks like... Uh, um, <laughs> one time I remember I seen a show like this shoe. It had like fur all over it. And it had pom-poms of fur. And it I'll- had to be faux fur. Uh, and I was... <laughs> Hey, listen, you know, uh, <laughs> fellas, don't ever be upset if you have a passion that you, you know, because girls buy handbags and they buy shoes. If we buy sneakers and, and, and whatever, don't ever be uh, ashamed of that. But more importantly, you know what's dope too? Angela, who? Oh, okay. And, and Angela too, what I really I'm proud of uh, to see and want to share this is that I know you bought your, um, your father a car. Uh, like <laughs> yeah, what, last year, and and you know just being able to and, and I want people to understand this being able to be successful to a point where you're able to do for your family even if they could do things for themselves just be able to buy something from them. Uh, um, tell us that story because I remember like he didn't even know that you were going to buy it from. Well, my dad is like the cheapest person on the planet, and like even growing up we never had a nice car. I remember when I was young we had a powder blue duster, and if you put your foot down you could reach the floor. Inside the car, you could, like, feel the ground outside. It was always bad. Then after that, we had a yellow Monte Carlo. And I used to be so embarrassed. Like, don't drop me off in front of school. Drop me off two blocks away. So my dad has never, ever had, like, a nice car. So I told him. And the car he was driving just before that, he works for my uncle. My uncle's a dentist. My dad manages the office. And he was, like, um, driving my uncle's old Volvo. Mm. And he had Velcro tape on it everything. It was terrible. And I'm like, Dad, you're making me look bad. And he could afford to get, like, something new. He just didn't want to. So I took him. I was like, let's just test drive some cars. So we went to go test drive the car. And while he was out driving it, I actually bought it for him. Like, I just paid for the whole thing. And when he came back, they were like, it's your car. He was like, what? So it was exciting, you know, for him. Of course, it looks a mess now because he, like, steals paper towels from the bathroom and has all kinds (laughs) of wet naps and stuff inside. But it's just nice to be able to do things like that. Sure, sure. It means a lot. Listen, um, Breakfast Club has been going how many years now? Is it five or six? Seven. Seven. God damn, for a morning <laughs> show. Morning shows don't last that long, I feel like. You know, that's a long time for it to last. You know, you, you sat down with so many people, had iconic, uh, you know, interviews and moments and, mm-hmm. and, and memes and, uh, you know, all three, <laughs> all three of y'all. Um, what has been some of your favorite Um, Some of my favorites, I mean, I have favorite interviews for different reasons, you know, like I think some of the interviews early on, like Ray J was a big deal for us. That might might have been one of our biggest when he was in Vegas and we called him and he was drunk high, whatever, and went on his rant. 
And so that was that was a big one for us. But I mean, having people like Jay Z on that was a big deal. Even when Damon Dash came on, even things that like, and let's be clear, like all our interviews are pre recorded after the show, right? And that's not a secret because you could tell we promote it, we put the video up the day before. And sometimes we do more, and people are like, why are you wearing the same thing you had? Like, we pre recorded. <laughs> I hate that but, with podcasting, too. Yeah, like, dude, we just pre recorded it. But anyway, um, so I think we can, we have the ability, if we wanted to, to not play certain things or take it out. But we always decide, even if things aren't in our favor, we still put them in. So when you see certain things and you're like, oh, you know, such and such got played, we could have took it out. But we choose to leave those things in just because. I mean, even if it's something that's not so positive, it still is interesting sure. for people. Sure. Now, how hard is it to, obviously, you know, you become a family with Envy and Charlemagne. But for a woman, you know, how hard is it to, to work, not only with Envy and Charlemagne, but just be work in, in, in a male-dominated industry? I think, well, for me, I think my whole life I've... You know, and as far as working, I've always been like the only girl. When I work for Wu-Tang, it's like a whole bunch of dudes and me. And then I worked at Shade 45, and I was the only girl on the station when I started there. You know, and then now I have the job at iHeart, and I'm the only woman on the morning show. I think that no matter what it is that you do, you have to take the best parts of it and focus on that. It's good for me, like now, if I do advertising or endorsements, there's certain things that they want a woman for because the guys can't do it. So I get a lot of opportunities because of that, and I look at it that way. And I will say this. I'm way less sensitive than both Charlamagne and Envy. Like, I think they have more <laughs> woman qualities than I do. I was being honest. They really do. Like, and they'll probably tell you the same thing. Charlamagne probably. Well, Envy. No, maybe. definitely. They're both, like, super sensitive. Like, they are. They were just arguing with each other. You might hear some of it on the air, but I hear all of it. And I'm just like, yo, can y'all shut up? And they gossip, like, way more than I do. I report the gossip and everything, but off the air, the two of them are like, you would think it would be the opposite, but it's really like I tune them out because I'm like, I can't even listen to this. You know, they I'm stay... In, I feel like I'm in a laundromat. <laughs> they stay trying to push, I feel, drama your way. Not meaning envy or charming, meaning like, I feel like sometimes, and this is just my opinion, but I feel like they... they, they they want to try to find all the juice and, 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 and all the jewels on you. Like, meaning, like, who have you messed with? Who this? Is this? Like, even with, you know, like, uh, with the Gucci mains, you know, coming on there and saying, why, why do you feel that, like, people try to just get, like, all the bad or drama shit out instead of the positive shit? Because I do look, honestly, I said it, I do look, uh, you, you know, you're not, a, you're not somebody who's messing around with everybody. You know, you, you carry yourself very respectful. Um, somebody that I think that y young girls should look up to. Well, I think people just like drama in general. I don't take it personally because people do that with everybody. It's not just me. Mm. I think people love to hear, like, just think if we look at Beyonce and Jay-Z and we thought that, you know, Jay-Z cheated on Beyonce, they got in a fight in the elevator. People loved that story. It was like the biggest story ever. Nobody was talking about all the positive things that they were doing. And I, I just think that people enjoy that because... They feel like it kind of relates to them more because we all have drama that goes on in our life. And we see these celebrities and we look at them like, wow, they're so perfect. And I think people like to see flaws in other people because it makes you feel better about yourself. Yeah. It's probably what it is. Like I was just talking about the Gucci thing and I was like, people love to act like he was serious about that. But I mean, even when it happened, he was like, I did lip service with you and Melissa Ford. Melissa Ford is like, I've never even met him and I never did lip service <laughs> and he never, you know, but it was like the whole thing wasn't even true. And I, you know, 
I mean, if people want to believe it, it doesn't bother me because I feel like if you're confident in who you are and what you do and you know you have a good foundation, things like that shouldn't bother you because why? Like, I know it's not true. For people who would love to get into radio, would love to actually, you know, follow some of your footsteps, what, what, what's some advice you would give them? That you have to work really super hard. I think nowadays people think success happens pretty quickly, and it doesn't. It's like a lot of years. I've been doing radio for 13 years now. And I remember when I first started, I never did radio before. And I was at, you know, Shade 45. And I was really, really bad at first. And you are never, ever going to start doing radio and be great at it. It's something that really does take practice. Like, nobody's a natural. It's just not possible. Why do you say you were really bad? Like, is this Because I was. <laughs> like, but, but what makes you say that? Like, Because what, what? I, ne- like, I didn't have any training. I, I went to college. I was an English major. I wanted to be a writer. And it's a lot as far as... Just listening to yourself, which is really painful. If you want to be great at radio, you have to listen to your shows, and it'll be difficult because a lot of us hate how we sound. Sure, sure. You're going to hate your voice. You're going to listen and be like, oh, I sound so stupid. You, you'll realize I say words. We call them crutch words when you say things like, like, um, um, yeah, you know yeah. what I'm saying? I still find myself. <laughs> right, but you have to pay attention to that. Just think when you hear certain people being interviewed and you're like, why do they keep saying, you know what I'm saying, you know what I mean, like, and you really pay attention to that, but you got to pay attention to it in yourself too and always get better because you're not going to get better if you don't listen to yourself and be able to take criticism and know the difference between somebody trying to give you positive critiques that'll help you out and somebody just being a hater because there is a difference. You can't, you have to be able to take some criticism though and get better and, and differentiate between what you could improve on and not get offended by that. Because I think for me, I didn't have a background in radio. So I was like an open book. I was like, okay, tell me what I need to do. And I wanted to take all that in. Mm. And, and Paul uh, Rosenberg uh, was very fond of, of you and believed in you in, in a time that probably help uh, give you a shot into uh, the radio, no? Yeah, I, I worked for Eminem's clothing line when it first launched, Shady Limited. So um, that's how that kind of, that really, well, I knew Paul way back when, when I used to work for Wu-Tang, I actually had Eminem open for Wu-Tang in Staten Island at this charity event that we did. So that's how I first met him. And Paul's the kind of person that if you did anything for Eminem early on before he was signed, he'll always look out for you. You know, that's how Riggs ended up working at Shady because he gave him like a, you know, um, a quotable in the source. So he's that type of person. Like, if you knew me back when, I'm going to always make sure you're good. So I saw him at the Chappelle show premiere. He was sitting right in front of me and he was like, hey, I wanted to see if you want to work at the clothing line. And it was that easy. I was like, "Okay, yeah. And the next day I was working at Eminem's clothing line. But I think when you do really well and represent yourself well, and because I, I am the type of person, if you give me an opportunity, I'm never going to embarrass you. I would never want to take a job. I think sometimes people feel like, oh, I'm friends with that person. I have a job. I don't have to work so hard. Because we have people at Shade 45 that were friends with Paul, and they would do crazy things like, you know, be gone for three hours, go to the gym, do all kinds. And it's like, you can't do that because it looks really bad that somebody recommended you and put you in position. And now you're making them look crazy. Sure. Your name is everything. Anybody have uh, <clears throat> any questions for Angela Yee? You got a mic out there, Isaiah? State your name and where you're from. Yeah. Yeah. I'm David from uh, Lithonia. And uh, this is a personal question. Uh, so we all are familiar with the beef between Charlemagne and Ebro. Uh, do you really have any beef at 97? And if so, is it with like Laura Styles? Like, is there any real beef, or is it just like fabricated? 
I mean, I wouldn't say that I have any beef. I'm not particularly fond of Peter Rosenberg or um, or Ebro either, but it's only because of what they do to us. It's not really like I ever did anything. I just feel like it's corny. Like, why are you talking shit? It's just corny to me. Like, Peter Rosenberg, I remember, did something. We had, like, this little reality show, and he tried to come at me on TV, but then tried to speak to me. He saw me the next day. And I'm like, you can't just do that for TV or for, you know, it's not cool to me because I've never been like that. Even when we were doing a reality show and they had me and Kay Fox, like, quote-unquote, beefing, I was like, there, there was a lot of things they asked me to say, and I was like, I'm not saying that because I would never do that or say that. Mm. No, no, no radio beef, no podcast beef. <laughs> Anybody else have a question for Andrew Yee? <laughs> <laughs> Who has a question? You have a question? <laughs> He's stupid. Give me a mic. All right, it's Javier again from Atlanta. Um, I wanted to just ask, because you talk a lot about juicing and everything, uh, what's your favorite flavor of juice? Oh, I have this juice. Well, it depends on what I need it for. But I do this um, thing called a G5. That's, like, my favorite one. It's spinach, kale, um, green apples, bananas, and I always add ginger to it because I love ginger and everything. Ginger, like... Ginger's the key. That, yeah, that's for my mornings because I can't really eat breakfast. It makes me tired. So that that actually keeps me like wide awake in the morning. So it's really good. But sometimes at night, if I need like a meal replacement, I'll get something with protein and peanut butter in it, so I won't be hungry. Mm. Right here, Isaiah. One more. He's over here, right here with the hawks. Is that a hawks jersey? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm a dis- I'm an upset Knicks fan. I'm sorry. I'm disgruntled. Uh, name and where you from? Uh, my name's Nate from Atlanta. And I was just wondering, besides the Birdman interview, what's your favorite, not your favorite, but what's your most memorable and knowledgeable interview you've ever done? Ever in my life? It, would, it probably wouldn't be um, there. I guess it probably was Jay-Z when I was at Sirius. That was like my first big, big interview. And that's how they actually hired me for the job, because it was really when I first started, just a probationary period. And then after the Jay-Z interview, they hired me. What's your name and where you're from? Uh, my name is Malcolm. Put, uh, speak to the mic. Oh, can you hear me? Yeah. Uh, my name is Malcolm. I'm from St. Louis. I really <laughs> I really don't have a question. I just want to say I'm a super fan. I really like everything y'all do. I listen to y'all morning show every day. Just Thank you. St. Louis is one of our newest markets. Is uh-huh. it really? Uh-huh. Yeah. Because when uh-huh. I was in St. Louis, I did not hear it. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Anybody, any last questions, fans? Okay, one more. Oh, wait, again, you can't do a double right there. Back there. Back there. Back there. You would have probably wanted to ask to marry her. <laughs> your name and where you're from? My name is Donovan, and I'm from Charleston, South Carolina. And um, just want to say a big fan of the show, listen to it all the time. But the question on everybody's mind, Angela, is what was really going through y'all mind when Birdman just set it off? And <laughs> <laughs> I think that whole day was, first of all, I was surprised that he was coming. And I think everybody was surprised because we all know that like he didn't really like Charlemagne. So I think... When we knew he was coming, it was a little bit like, okay, what's about to happen? And then when he was, but he asked to come on the show, so that was also weird. And then he was in the um, little area right outside the studio. We could see him through the glass, and it was like he was getting ready for a fight, you know. And so then he came in, and all those people walked in behind him and stood behind him. So I was like, all right, I don't know what's about to happen, but it definitely felt real, you know, tense. And if you notice, he didn't know the mics were on, so... It was the conversation before the mics went on, and then everybody's like, okay, come on, let's start the interview. But it already was started, 
So I think um, I didn't think anything was going to happen. I guess I never think like that because I would be really stupid, and hopefully nobody's stupid enough to like do something in the studio. Well, well, let me just give it inside information. There's a guy named Wax, right? <laughs> and uh, he wears Timberlands in the summer. He he walks around with baseball gloves, um, and yeah, he would have came in and took Birdman, uh, you know. <laughs> but whatever you, you don't know that, that but that's that, that, that's Charlemagne's uh, bodyguard now because <laughs> nobody wants to give him you don't want to get no more drops you don't get no more drops so last time that happened you had an issue but listen Andrew Can I have, uh, one oh, quick oh you, got, okay, you got a question I'm sorry real quick question this is really off what's your name and where you from Terry from uh, Atlanta by way of New York mm-hmm. does Cheer. Charlemagne actually see Prince float on air no I mean <laughs> we were all standing there but I will say that Prince is just was very special. Like, first of all, Prince is like my favorite artist of all time. So just the fact that he even came in to say hello to us, because he wasn't, you know, they were like, oh, Prince is going to come by and say hi. So he came in. And, you know, if you know Prince, you know, you can't ask for a picture or anything. Charlamagne tried to sneak and take a picture and it disappeared, though, when he was um, <laughs> walking away. That Luminati. Was <laughs> Luminati. <laughs> but, you know, we were nervous. And so we were like, oh, my God, it's Prince. And Charlamagne's like, I grew up Jehovah's Witness, too. And it had nothing to do with anything. Prince was like, yeah, we'll talk about that sometime. Man, rest in peace, man. <laughs> rest in peace, Prince. But listen, let's make some noise for Angela Yee, man. Man, Angela Yee is always special. One thing, you know, I found dope is that um, it, people love Angela Yee, man. You know, and she's just a real classy, sweet person. And people really fucking love her, man. And it's dope to see that while we were in Atlanta, there was a couple of people trying to, you know, get her to marry her. Calm the fuck down, Okay. If I bring out Angela Yee at another stop of the tour, don't try to ask her to marry you. She don't want to marry you, okay? But anyway, shouts to Angela Yee. That was dope to have her stop by the Atlanta Live uh, tour and chop it up. Chop it up with the kid. This next uh, uh, guest that we're going to bring on, man, um, man, father-in-law-to-be, you know, my lady's father, Nat Robinson. That's right. First Priority Music, Nat Robinson. MC Light, Audio 2 with Melk D and Giz, um... Who else, man? Man, they got so many people. Daddy-o. Come on, man. It, it, it doesn't stop, man. Let's get to Nat Robinson. So first off, I want to just explain to you uh, about Nat Robinson. Start, um, started a record label many years ago called First Priority Music. KP, peace, peace and blessings, brother. Let me get that Grammy one day. Um, started a, a record label called First Priority Music because his sons started... Rapping started making music. Think about that to to really to really get a get a grasp of, of, of what's going on. That he said, "Hey, wait, we could start a label." On that label was uh, Audio Two, which is uh, Mel D and Giz, MC Light. Um, who else? Name some other people. Put that put that mic chain. Don't act like Positive you've never K. been. Positive K. King's Swing. Hey, listen, a lot of people, uh, but more importantly, um, I brought that up. I want to tell a couple of quick stories. Most of you. How many people are familiar with Mackay Pfeiffer? Well, explain the story about Mackay Pfeiffer, and I'm going to explain to you what this story is about. Mackay, uh, Milk, Milk found Mackay. Talent show. At a talent show. Milk D, uh, Nat's son, um, found Mackay, uh, brought him to you, right? For those right. that don't know, Mackay Pfeiffer has an album that's never been released. And according to uh, Nat Robinson... Mackay is nasty, um, but he had to choose uh, between what, what. Explain that story and what exactly happened. Well, he walked into an open audition for African American 
young men with Spike Lee for a movie called Clockers. He never acted. He had no desire to act. He went with his cousin. Well, unfortunately for his cousin, Makai got the um, lead role in Clockers, walked off the street. So we had just signed him to Warner Brothers, to Benny Medina and Mo Austin. And, you know, once he took the movie deal, it was very hard to come back from a movie and be a legitimate rapper. There's only very few people do that. You know, like, well, Tupac was a rapper first, but, you know. Um, so Makai wound up going into Hollywood instead of releasing the album. We do have some of the cuts in a movie called Hell's Kitchen with Angelini Jolie and William Forsythe, Rosanna Arquette, and Makai. Uh, we do have about three or four of the songs in that movie. But that was the end of his rap career. So which way did it go? I don't know. He seems to be happy. He made millions. So maybe he made the right decision. Hey, listen, it's crazy to know that there's a, a, a Makai Pfeiffer uh, EP out there that nobody's ever heard. LP. What was that line he said to you? You, you told me he said that uh, he's hotter than what? Um, I'm hotter than two Tupac. I'm hotter than Tupac with two hot clocks. Yeah. But he, he could rock it. I've seen him break brothers down in battles that it would have tears in their eyes when he finished with them. Um, but, you know, I guess you know, he made the choice sure, sure. what he wanted to do and... You no, know, he became a star and he made millions. Hey, got to do your thing. You know, also, um, Melt D and uh, um, Audio 2 and Giz, um, they're, they're, you know, Top Billing, for those of you that just heard Top Billing, that song has been sampled over, what? 256 times sampled um, and reused. We own things like a piece of Otis uh, from um, Jay-Z and Kanye. We own part of Lady Gaga with Wale and Half a Real Love, uh, Half a I Get Money by 50 Cents, uh, Half a uh, Bitch Nigga from Dr. Dre. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, it goes on and on. You know, Biggie Smalls. It just goes on and on and on. Uh, Biggie Smalls was in the uh, intro, right, when he was talking yeah, he did, in the he beginning? Was in the intro. Yeah. yeah. You know, if, if you think about it, top billing, that beat, you know, um, was used in so many songs. Like he said, you know, I get money with 50, and, and then you, you turn around and think of, you know, it's funny, too, because Milk did my intro song. My theme song for the Premium Pete Show is done by Milk. And i never forget, I sent it to one of my friends, and he's like, get out of here with that Mary J. Blige real love shit. And I was like, no, that's the, the beat that Mary took to make real love. You know, and it's amazing to see that one song, particularly top billing, was able to be sampled that many times. And still to this day, even Young M.A. just recently used it. Um, I mean, it, it, there are so many. But the biggest is being, you think about with, with 50, you know. How did that even happen? Did they call you? and? Uh... <clears throat> well, his manager, well, they put it out first. And then I went after his manager. Let's you know, let's get this together. But you know, you're running. He's chasing a hit. And he's marketing it. Chris Lighty at the time. And rest in peace. Yeah, rest in peace. So we really couldn't get a hold of him to work out a deal. So he ran into Milk somewhere and said, "Man, you know, have your dad call me." So I said, "Look, man, I've been tracking you down. In the mu- in the copyright business, if somebody infringe on your co- copyright, you have the legal right to take 100 percent of the copyright." Uh, but being in the music business, you're just not going to treat your peers like that. So we went, and went with a 50-50 deal. Uh, same thing with um, Puffy to keep it going. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of money in publishing, and people cut each other's throat Throws, in publishing. Yeah. You know, I wrote that. No, you didn't write that. Yes, I did, because I put my copyright form in before you did. So it's, it's a weird business. But 
that's basically, you know, we got paid and we signed off and then we did a 50-50 deal. You know, um, Wally, you got that uh, song I was telling you about? Okay, one second. Before I play that, there's another artist that Milk uh, found that was a big success. And I don't know how much, when, when the song comes on, maybe some of you will know. But. Anybody know that song? How much money did you make? Uh, I'm not going to talk dollars, but the kid was 20. He was number one in 26 countries at the same time. He sold in about six weeks about six, seven million copies. Um, he just, just totally blew up. These, hmm? So Milk found them, and how did he come to you? How did that happen? Well, there's a guy they would call the godfather of Staten Island, which we happen to know, and he talked to Eamon's dad and said, look, I got some guys, they'll blow your kid up if you step out of the game with them. So that's how we came, we came up with Eamon. Eamon's half Italian, half Irish, good kid. We picked him up when he was 16. We actually didn't get him into full play until he was 19. He went out in the first six months, he made about $4 million in his pocket after taxes, I can say that much. You know, and what I want to say is, it's funny, that song um, became a hit, and it was played all over, like, uh, in New York radio, I would say Z100, KTU, whatever pop radio stations are out in Atlanta, what is that? Like, not, not uh, V103, uh, like pop stations. Right. Okay, okay, but what I'm saying is, that song was played by Star, Star and Buck Wild, I don't know if you remember them, they used to be on Hot 97 Morning Show. A friend of uh, uh, Nat's, part of the first part of music, played that song and broke that record. So in, it just in goes one to, day. It, just, it goes to show you that relationships are everything, are everything because they played that that song and then it became a worldwide hit. And here's a kid who toured and everything. Um, really toured, yeah. Huh? I mean, he toured. Yeah. He came out the box making insane money. Yeah, and it's funny too because I always remember this situation uh, many years ago when Milk and Giz Audio Two. Uh, they, they were 15 years old, mm-hmm. and uh, they would go on the tour, and they would have five shows a week. They were probably making 500 bucks. So, so it's funny because they would put uh, you know, money in their dresser, and they, you know, they have 2,000, 2,500 at the end of the week. When Eamon came along, I, he, what did he get? Like his first show? His first show was like 25 Gs, and it went from there to about 50. 50 and I remember you saying, and Milk saying, well, we only made $500. That was back in the day. (laughs) (laughs) But it was also a long time ago. Anybody have any questions for Nat Robinson? Anybody want to know anything about the industry or any questions they have? What do you got back there? Hold on. Get him a mic. Isaiah, get him a mic. That's a long haul. You got to walk on the expressway on that one. Yo, anybody, before before, uh, you ask your question, has anybody tried the pickles yet? Yo, let me tell you something. I know pickles aren't the the. Okay, let me explain this. Pickles aren't like the most popular. Like I don't remember how many times people say like I'm gonna go fuck with pickles today, and it's crazy because what I told you about this. Um, what I told you about the uh, you know having this guy's episode and, and what it is. You know, it's funny. Without no disrespect to 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 him, meaning uh, uh, the founder of Travis Grill, Grill of Pickles. People were saying, like, yo, if this guy could take a pickle and turn it into that, I could do anything. And, and it's funny how we look at a pickle being such a small thing. 
Leo, you got a question. That's Leo from Atlanta. Yeah. What's up? I was wondering how you feel about Pete being uh, your, your son-to-be. Well, you know, at night I think about putting a, my Glock to my head and pulling the trigger. <laughs> and I, that's a fucked up question, man. Yo, somebody asked another question, man. You know I had to get at you, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got one for you, Pete. Okay, again. Terry worked with me for years in New York. I mean, for years. He knew Nat since she was a little girl. And he was standing over, sitting over there talking to me like, I can't believe that she was this high. She was this high. You know, so, you know, he's like, I can't believe it. She's got a man, a kid. What's going on? You know, it's, you know, you know it's funny. Uh, when I met, um, when I met uh, I'll never forget, when I met his daughter, uh, Natalie, I was, her brother I was friends with. And he, he had a sneaker event. And he asked me to host it. He was trying to get it off the ground. And I was like, oh, you know what, man? You're a good dude. I'll come there. I'll host it. I don't want anything. I came there, I get to the door, and she's like, uh, ticket, please? And I was like, no, I'm hosting it. And, and, and as I'm telling her that, <clears throat> somebody's on the side of me. Yo, Premium Pete, what's up, man? She's like, yeah, if you don't get a ticket, you can't come in here. And I'm like, what the fuck? I'm like, yo. So then I find myself saying something that I, that, that I sound like a dick to say, excuse my language. Yo, I'm Premium Pete. I'm here to host it. And she's like, I don't care who you are. You don't, it's $20 to get in. And I was like, hold on, hold on. So then I call a, bro- a brother, and I was like, yo, man, you want me to host this shit? You got this girl fucking bothering me at this door. And after I hosted, I took a break, and I came out and talked to her. And uh, six years later, man, you know, we got a kid together. And, uh, and uh, yeah, you know, it's a beautiful thing. And the crazy thing is I never knew, like, I never, you know, I've always gotten by in my life by my relationships and the way I treated people and the way I always try to look out for people. I never knew she, her, you know, her father was involved in any business. Her brother was involved. This girl liked, like, you know, cranberries and, 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 and fucking Stone Temple Pilots. Like, I was like, you know, and then one day we're at a party. I see her brother. I was like, oh, that's fucking Mel D. What the fuck's he doing here? And she's like, oh, that's my brother. You know, so I never knew that. So it's funny. You look at somebody. Sometimes I think you try to be with somebody who you think is, is, is right up your alley. Like, you got a lot in common. I'm here to say everything in common ain't in common. Unless you're common. But anyway, Nat Robinson. Make make some noise for Nat Robinson. Man, good old Nat Robinson, man. It's good to bring him up. Man, I think I scored some brownie points by doing that, you know. I think maybe uh, low-key Nat is happy I did that. Maybe not. Maybe she like, you know, leave my father alone. But anyway, it's been great. I hope you're enjoying this Atlanta Live episode out in WeWork. Shouts to my WeWork family over there on Colony Square. And you know what? Let's take a quick break. You're listening to the live Atlanta Premium Pete Show in Atlanta at WeWork in Colony Square. We'll be right back. Cheers. Yo, check this out, man. It's Prodigy from the infamous Mob Deep, the head nigga in charge, HNIC. You know what I'm saying? Repping at Queens, New York. Chilling, man, right now, man. Just kicking it, you know what I mean, with my homie Premium Pete. And this is the Premium Pete Show. Keep it locked right here. Don't go nowhere. Real shit, one. Internet's and we're back. You're listening to the Atlanta Live episode of the Premium Pete Show Tour. Sponsored by WeWork. Sponsored by Grillo's Pickles. Sponsored by Jason Mark. And sponsored by College of Hip Hop. Man, this next guest is, is... I love seeing this guy flourish out here. You know, being a free man, being home. The one and only Santana Raymond of the Central Park Five. Who's living in Atlanta now, man? He talks about just how the Central Park Five you know, um, happen and Donald Trump and more. Let's get to Santana Raymond. First off, 
I've done episodes that have been very uh, uh, compelling with uh, Raymond Santana. You know, obviously, people who know or don't know of this case, they settled, uh, was it in civil court or is it... uh, But, you know, even though they got money, you know, and some got more than others, did you ever think that whatever money you got, and I know it's public record, I think it's about like seven or eight million, they think they think... Something like that. Did you ever like say to yourself, like, happy to get it, but say to yourself, like, man, nothing's worth the time that I did. Yeah, definitely. A, a million times, especially when you had to fight for it. Like, even though we was exonerated in 2002. Yeah. Hello? All right. So even though we was exonerated in 2002, it wasn't like they just said, all right, we messed up and we're going to right this wrong. Like, we filed a civil case and they fought it for 11 years. Um, and so we had to earn that money, even battling the federal court. Where even the judge was like, well, are we going to settle this case? And they was like, nah, we're going to fight it all the way. You know, um, who's the guy that eventually, what's his name, uh, Ramos, what's his name? Oh, Mateus Reyes. Mateus Reyes was uh, actually after how many years? Was it tr- um, About 13 years. About 13 years after this case. For those that don't know about the Central Park Five case, happened in New York City. Five teenagers. Explain it. You probably explained it better than me. Explain the shorter story of yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, five teenagers got arrested the night of April 19th, April 20th, and was interrogated by the police for over uh, 15 to 30 hours. No food, no water, no drink, no sleep. And under that pressure, we cracked and we confessed to something we didn't do. And as a result, we spent 7 to 13 years in prison for a crime that we didn't commit. And later on, Mateus... Later on, Mateus Reyes came forward, and he said he's the person who did it, and they didn't believe him, and this guy literally had to prove that he was guilty. You know, um, if nobody ever seen, there's a documentary called the Sec- uh, Central Park Five. It was on Netflix. I don't know where it is now. Yeah, I don't know either. Um, but um, I'm telling you one thing. Where is it? You can see it on Amazon Prime. Okay, Amazon Prime. I fuck with Amazon Prime. You order something inside Central your house Park in two days. Um, uh, let me tell you something, and I'm not just saying this. I'm not paid to say this. Central Park Five documentary is, is if you watch that, I mean, not only would I say you'll be eye-awakening, but even if you have kids, I think you'll think more. You know, um, it, it, it was such a tragic, uh, you know, in the city, uh, a jogger, that's why they call it Central Park Five, a jogger was jogging, got hit in the head with a brick, yeah, uh, got raped, and they, they, you know, they just started to blame everybody. And, you know, five, that's where Central Park Five came from. Um, you know, looking back now that you're able to be out and be home, what are some of the things that you, when you were away and going through that, that you now appreciate? Sleeping in my, my, my bed, uh, showering, where you don't got 20 other dudes in the same area as you. The small things in life, just being able to wake up when you want to wake up and move around how you want to move around. Just having that freedom of nobody looking over your shoulder, not having to uh, register as a sex offender, stuff like that. You know, it's crazy, too, because even when, even when they were found not guilty, they, you know, um, still weren't looked at as being innocent. Yeah. You know, why, why is that? Why did that happen? Um, because basically there was this, within this first two weeks of this case, there were over 400 articles written about us, dissecting the lives of 14 and 15-year-old kids and painting us at this picture that we, were, we, were, we weren't innocent, that we were guilty. And that we were monsters. And that's where the term wilding, um, urban terrorists, uh, uh, predators, all those terms came from this case. 
41 states changed their juvenile laws behind this case, where now you were uh, charged as, a, as an adult, a census as a juvenile, so you receive your first strike under New York law. Um, and so when these articles came out, it painted this picture about us that we were these vicious uh, little monsters. And so that made a public outcry where people just wanted justice. And so it was easy for everybody to turn their backs because for, for, every, you know, for days you read these articles about us. And people always said, you know, it's about, it's about uh, criminalizing the youth. The same thing they did to Trayvon Martin, the same thing they did to Mike Brown. When they paint this picture that you're doing something wrong, we tend to believe it. It's easy for us to turn our backs. And at that time, the system can do whatever they want. And that's what they did to us. You know, you, you are doing a bunch of things now that um, you're working on, what, a second documentary? Is that? Well, we, we just signed to deal with Netflix um, with Ava DuVernay, Participant Media, Oprah Winfrey. Uh, that, that's going to probably be out. I think 2019. And what is it about? It's going to be just based, it's going to be about the story of the Central Park Five. Mm. It's a five hour film that you can binge on Netflix. Mm. Now, the, the first Central Park Five documentary, who was that done by, that guy? Ken Burns, Sarah Burns, and Dave McMahon. Mm. Now, it, it's, it's, it's crazy because how that happened was <laughs> the daughter, right? The yeah. daughter was doing an article on you guys for a college report, right? Yeah. She, she started, she worked, she was an intern in my attorney's office, Jonathan Moore. And she didn't know about us, and he told her who we were. So she said, can I write a paper for school? And we said, sure. So she wrote a paper, and then she came back some years later, and she was like, you know what? I want to help you guys fight this injustice. Can I write a book? And we was like, fine. So she started writing this book, and in the process of writing this book, her father was editing the chapters. And he said, this would be a great movie. So she came back about three, four more years after that and was like, my dad wants to do this film on y'all. And I was like, well, who's your father? And she was like, Ken Burns. And I was like, I don't know who that is, <laughs> right? And so he gave me the story of Jack Johnson. I watched it, and I was like, wow, this dude is the real deal. And that film released in 2012, and that's when the media perception about us started to change. That's not that long ago. Yo, uh, side note for a second. You have the best uh, outfit in, in, in here tonight. <laughs> Why are you dressed like that? <laughs> she didn't. Why, you have the best outfit in here. Is, did you come from a party or you just that's you just rolling like that? What? Or just a fairy? Shit, I'm leaving. I'm leaving my tooth underneath my pillow tonight. Oh, I'm sorry, Dad. I'm sorry. Um, not to get off track, but you spent how many years you spent in jail? Total, thirteen years. Okay. You know, honestly, and I mean, you know. I'm a joker, but when I'm serious, I'm serious. You know, you think about having a kid or a brother and, and you know, them just being profiled and chosen and, and doing time for something they never did. You think about how many people have done time for a crime that they didn't commit. I don't know if anyone's seen, but recently on social media, there was this guy who did like 25 years and they only gave him like about 100, 200 bucks or something like that. And mm-hmm. they found out that he wasn't guilty. Yeah, about $200. I mean, it's crazy to think that, right? But what I'm saying is when you found out that this guy, Mateus Reyes, came forward, and first of all, why do you think he came forward? Um, what happened was that he was, him and Corey Wise, who was one of my co-defendants, at this time, Corey got 13 and a half years in prison. That's because he was older. Because he was older. So he got sentenced to a longer term. And so Corey was doing what we call spinning the yard, walking around the yard, and Reyes is standing and he sees him. And he remembers him from 1989 because they had a fight over a TV. 
And so he walks up to him and he introduces himself and they start talking. But he never tells him that it's him who did this crime. He just had a conversation with him. And in this conversation, he's telling him how he has found Jesus. He goes to church now. He changed his life around in prison. And so speaking to Corey, you know, Corey was like, well, that's fine. You know, keep doing what you're doing. I wish you well. And him going back to his cell, he had that guilt. And he said he got to do something. And that's where it started. I find that amazing because, you know, um, I've been away and I'm glad that I came home and never went back. You know, most people, you know, in jail, and, and you can tell me how, how, how you bid it, but uh, people hate each other, man. I mean, you're cool with some people, but for the most part, no one is coming forward for another person. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, like kind of like, man, let me get that. I'm not giving an extra piece of chicken. You know, like that's mine. You know, it's very selfish mentality. That is, is torn in prison. So I still find it amazing that he came forward. Literally, like, you're here today because he came forward. Yeah. Or she would still be in there. Yeah, and not just came forward. Like, he kept telling his story over and over. Because they didn't believe over. him. They didn't believe him. So how did they... Uh, when the DNA of evidence came back, because they always had that marker, they ran it through it, and they found that it matched. And so now, when, he, when they looked at his story, he gave them uh, aspects of the crime that they didn't solve. And then he went on to solve like four unsolved cases for them that they had on the books. So he showed them that he was the real deal. Did um, anybody on the prosecutors, any lawyers they had on their side, any, has anybody ever apologized to you? No. It's been the total opposite. Everybody has said that we're still guilty. Or the police or the prosecutors. Um, they maintain their story that it was good police work and um, that we're guilty to this day. Now, what would you suggest for anybody who gets arrested as far as, like, interrogating? Like, like what well, do you think you could have did better? Like, could you have got, got a lawyer at the time? I was 14. Or? I didn't know. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, so when we do speak and we speak to parents, that's the first thing we tell them. You, as the adult, you make sure that you step in and make sure that your kid doesn't say anything. That's number one. Mm, mm. Okay, number two. Because <laughs> we need a backup just in case. <laughs> get a lawyer. Okay. <laughs> You know, um, has anyone in here seen the Central Park Five documentary? Wow, I'm surprised how many people have seen it. No, no, I'm, they have seen it. I'm saying people have seen it. I'm saying I'm surprised how many people have seen it. It, to me, like I said, it, it, it was done. I never forget uh, when I watched it. The first time we told this story was uh, on the Combat Jack show, and um, man, people were taken away of all the stories and the and the heartache and and and, and just understanding what. This man has went through, and then now fighting. Now you're doing a lot of activism now. Yeah, yeah. Um, me and Yusuf, Kevin does a little bit, but me and Yusuf do majority of it. Now mm-hmm. Yusuf does it right now. Um, I took a break because it was just a lot. Like I mean, this this film since 2012 has we had did over 40 film festivals. It has taken us all across the U.S. We have spoken so much. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I meet people who are like I'm a lawyer because of you. Mm. And I'm like, oh, you owe me some money. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 uh, you also started your own clothing line, brand, clothing brand, Park yeah, and Madison. Park Madison, NYC. Um, it started because when I was 14 years old, I always used to love to sketch. And fashion was a passion that I had at that young age. And it was raw for me when I went to prison. So um, years later, when I thought about trying to get back into it, I, had a, I met a good friend who became a good friend of mine. This guy named... Uh, Rashi Young, who was Russell's right-hand man, and he was president of Fat Farm, uh, running athletics, and me and him sat down. We had a discussion. And I said, I want to start a line, and boom, we're here. Man, 
Let's give a crap for that. Let's give a crap for that. Being able to fulfill some of his dreams. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you something. There are a lot of talented people in prison. Yeah. You know, some people made the wrong mistake. I, I'll never forget when I was away. I wanted to find some type of sentimental thing that I could send my mother because my mother was heartbroken that I was away and I made a mistake by putting her through that. People go away. People hustle out there. People, people do shit not realizing that when you go away, you take your family with you. Yeah. You know, I put my mother through hell. Um, so i never forget when I went into, finally when I got out of cells, I went into a dorm. Yo, I was like, yo, this is like uh, arts and craft for prison. <laughs> like, there was people like drawing on handkerchiefs that yeah. looked like murals. There's one guy that had soap. He would turn it into like a penguin or a rose. And I was like, oh, shit. So I literally sent my mother <laughs> handkerchiefs. I'll never forget where it said number one mom with a teddy bear. Mm-hmm. And she was mm-hmm. like, I hung it on the wall and I love it. And, and, and the best thing was my grandmother. My grandmother, you could see, you could tell her no wrong about me. I'll never forget she had came visit me one time. And the CEO had walked by the aisle of the table, and she was like, them son of a bitches. And I was like, nah, nah, Grandma. Like, I, I made the mistake. You know, I wasn't really you know, holding myself right. And, uh, and she's like, nah, nah, this son of a bitches. But, but, <laughs> but I'll tell you one thing. Valuing, you don't realize how important it is to value your freedom until you don't have it no more. Yeah. You know, um, I know, you know probably most people haven't been away here, but in a second you can slip up or something can happen. Or if you think about it, in his case, just be hanging out in Central Park and be like, yo, come here, here. Now you're tried with a case. You're away until we figure out a way to get you out. Mm-hmm. And there was no case. Did you ever lose hope almost? Yeah, definitely. I mean, all the way to exoneration. I mean, my lawyer, I used to have to call him every day and he would say, I'm going to get you home for Christmas. And I was like, yeah, right. I mean, even in the film, if you watch the film, my dad is actually telling me that they found Reyes and I hang up on him because I don't believe him. I'm so institutionalized by that point that I'm thinking they're going to make him the sixth man, sweep it under the rug, and I'm going back to prison life. And that was it. You know, um, when you found out your first day home, how did you celebrate it? Um, my dad, I couldn't. It took me a while to get home because there were so many reporters and camera people in front of my house. So we had to drive around for a couple of hours. And my first meal was uh, chicken wings and fried rice. Mm-hmm. Now, were you fiending and dreaming of that? Yeah. Mm. When he said, what do you want? I was like, give me some Chinese food. You know, it's funny, too. I'll give another example, too. When, when you're away, you think, first of all, and you have like all these, con- I used to call them concoctions. You would make up like, I'll never forget, we used to put rice with uh, uh, oodles and noodles, like crackhead soup. With, uh, and we didn't have cheese, so we would uh, crumble up Cheez-Its. Then you, and then you, you, and you crumble up, you got cheese on top. But what I'm saying is, I'll never forget when I came home, I was cooking for my family. Like, Let me show you, uh, I can make this one. And they're like, what the hell is this? Like, and I realized, like, oh, I'm, 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 I'm slipping up. Let me, let me get the chicken palm, you know, because, like, you know, I literally, you become a product of your environment. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I really think I adapted and, and, and made the best of the situation I was at. But, uh, you know, one day, one hour in jail was way too much. Yeah. Um, what about, it's funny too, cause Trump has acknowledged Central Park five recently saying that they're yeah. still, they're yeah. still guilty. Uh, what's the deal with that? Um, you know, I mean, back in 1999, he took out full page ads calling for the death penalty for us. Um, and when this, when we, when we found to be innocent, we exonerated, he still said we were guilty. When we finally settled with the city, he said it was the biggest heist in New York city history. Um, going all the way to current. To him on his campaign, he said that we still guilty according to the police, and he stands firm on it. Wasn't he going to meet you one day? I met with his uh, head of security. 
And, and he didn't want to meet with you? No, nah, he didn't want to meet with me. But why did you even meet with his head of security? Um, because it was basically letting him know that I wasn't afraid. And, and upon meeting him, and we met at a Starbucks by my old job, and the first thing I told him was I said, you can ask me whatever you want. I'm not afraid of nothing. All I got is truth on my side. Mm. And after we finished that hour conversation, he said he respected me, and that was it. Mm. Mm. Special, special. Another round of applause for Raymond Santana. Uh, let's go. Uh, anybody have any questions for Raymond? Wait, hold on. We got a lot of hands here. Hold up. Actually, this mic, I feel like it didn't. Hold up, hold up. Here's, hold up. Peace, peace, peace. How you doing? What's going man? on? Um, just keep it in mind, you know what I'm saying? I've watched the documentary mm-hmm. and story, and um, just two questions on your thoughts of two people um, in relation to what you've been through. Uh, Donald Trump and Khalif Browder. Um, I mean, you know, with, with Khalif, uh, it's tragic. You know, for a man to go through a situation like that where he's spending all his time on Rikers Island and the case is finally dismissed. And then what happens is that you just drop him off. It's the same thing that happens to exonerees. When exonerees are, are found innocent and they just drop you off, there's no, there's no programs that's there to give you a transition into back into society. They just drop you off and they leave you. And sometimes exonerees, they become lost. You know, especially when you spend a, that much of a time inside an institution. Trump, I don't got too much to say about him. Man. Um, good. Uh, uh, I'm Nathaniel from Atlanta. And I just wanted to know, like, I mean, I have a dad that has, in my whole life, been in prison. So just writing letters is all I've known of him. Mm-hmm. So it's like, as far as the inside, do you guys have ways yourselves to kind of get people outside and getting things in a because you know like i've heard of the there's a podcast out called ear hustle and i listen to the to to that a lot and it's about the prison system in Mm -hmm. san quentin and uh, i just want to know like if there's people inside that actually try to group themselves together to get each other you know outside and well, you know, there's, there's, I mean, you have to take the initiative. There's people like in the law library, right? And Pete could probably tell you about this. Like when you go to the law library to, to, to do uh, research on your case, you know, there's a bunch of people in it that's been there for years and, and, and they can guide you on where to go and how to do things. We call them jailhouse lawyers, right? And I mean, that's as close as you're going to get. Hey, listen, there's some people in uh, uh, the law library that spent so much time there, they literally beat their own case. Mm-hmm. And became their own lawyer. Mm-hmm. Any other questions? Yeah, right here. <clears throat> yeah, we got a couple. Okay, your name and where are you from? Yeah, my name is David from Lithonia. Mm-hmm. By way of uh, everybody's from Lithonia. What the fuck is by, good by over way there? of Bronx? By way of Bronx. By way okay. of Bronx. Shout out um, to the BX. Yeah, yeah the BX. <laughs> but um, my my aunt actually was on Rikers for stabbing a woman fifty times, and uh, I just want to know what per- I've seen like her adjustment. From the out, from inside to outside, mm-hmm. what was the your biggest adjustment? Like, yo, I could do this now. Like, moment. Like, what was that thing for you? Was it like getting a burger? What, what was your moment? Like, yo, like like small things, small things. You, you I mean, all that. I mean, for me, the biggest thing was to decompress, right? To to stop everything that you bring from prison with you. Like what? Like for me, like I speak about this in the doc, washing my boxes in the shower, right? Um. <laughs> Having this pent up aggression 
if I'm in a room with a bunch of people, I play the corner and keep my back towards the wall. I mean, that's stuff that was just indoctrinated in me all the time, you know, since, since, since I went into prison. Do you have like a, a, a PTSD type thing where you count everybody that's in the room? Because I know some people from prison have that. My aunt, she has a count, like everyone who's in the, like watch everyone's movements. Do you have that kind of thing? I mean, I had that before. I think once you become aware of it, like I used to, I would always come home and my, my room in my dad's house was the size of a cell. And I would literally go in there and just lock the door. And it wasn't until he knocked on the door and he was like, why are you always in your room? And then I thought about it and I was like, yeah, because it's the size of a cell. It's where I feel my comfort. You know, and once you are uh, aware of that stuff, then you could try to counter it. You know, um, let's make some noise for Raymond Santana. <laughs> question, question. Let me tell you something. One question, Pete. Oh, last question. Okay. Well, this is two parts. What actually at the, at the end did they charge you, or what was the charge? The final charge. Originally. Yes. Originally, the charge I had twelve charges, so they stem from. Uh, trespassing, rioting, medicine, all the way to attempt murder. Okay. My, my second part is you have no recourse after you recanted everything to uh, do some sort of civil suit against Donald for the role he played in that? Well, what happened was that Donald got smart, and then he started saying that he's following what the police said. So he's saying, I say they're guilty because the police are saying they're guilty. But he's taking so, out pages, so that doesn't do anything? Mm-hmm. No? Okay. Once he takes that, it's like third party. Well, my brother, my heart goes out to you. Thank you. And you're blessed still because you're sitting here. Let's That's make right. some noise for Raymond Santana. Man, that was great listening to... Uh, I keep on saying Santana, Raymond. It's actually Raymond Santana. But his Instagram and Twitter are set up like that, so it's got me all confused. But I was Raymond Santana at Central Park 5. Uh, again, great to see him flourishing. Uh, consider that dude a friend. And shouts to him for sure. This next guest is a longtime friend, man. One of the first people to bring me out to Atlanta back in the day with sneaker friends. Just a real good dude. Someone who it's hard to lock down his time, man. And he took a little while to get up to there. We were up in WeWork uh, for a couple hours. But he made it, man. The one and only, the legendary DJ Greg Street. Uh, He he speaks about interviewing Biggie back in the day. DJing in Atlanta. uh, His sneaker collection. And so much more. Let's get to DJ Greg Street. Chichi. For the people who may not know you that are out of town, and for the people who do know you, what is a day in the life of DJ Greg Street? We work. <laughs> hey, that's a, that's a drop. It's a promo for We Work. Yeah, we work. I need an office. Street has been, hey, listen, first of all, Street has been working in this building for 22 years. Okay. I need an office. Take us through, take us through the first day you ever. Step foot in this building. Mm, I came in this building. Well, actually, I lived in this building, and I worked in this building for probably about sixty days. Mm. So I lived at the hotel. It was the Sheraton then before the W, and then I worked in four hundred. Why'd you live in the Sheraton? Because I was buying a house when I first came. So you know, it took a while okay. to get everything done. I didn't want to move twice. When we work, we don't want to be doing all that twice. You know, it's funny, too, because it's like growing up in New York, um, you know, we look at Funk Master Flex. And when I came out to Atlanta and, uh, you know, I remember people saying, man, oh, Greg Street, he's like the Funk Master Flex of Atlanta. <laughs> you ever heard that before? Yeah, people say that all the time. What would you consider yourself as in Atlanta? Because people look at you as being an icon, as being a, a, a household name. I mean, it's just all about working hard. Um, 
people gonna consider you whatever they want to consider you. I don't really get caught up into that. Um, you just have to work and do what it is that you think you should be doing and listen to some of the stuff that people tell you and see if you can incorporate it to help make yourself better. You know, you can't just be a person who thinks you know everything and don't listen to people from the outside looking in because you can, you know, my mom always told me you can learn from anybody. You can learn from a dog if you sit there and watch them long enough. Of you, if you, you, you might see somebody doing something wrong, so you learn what not to do. You know, I remember you telling me a story a long time ago about I think that you brought Rick Ross to – where was it to do like his first track or his first song? Patchwork. Okay. Yeah. How that happened? He was working with us in the beginning. Um, actually, um, there was a joke. There was a joke in bet- amongst some friends of mine when I first moved to Atlanta, and uh, the joke was when I first met Block. The joke was he looked like Tony Draper. <laughs> <laughs> so one night we were at the bounce at A Ball MJG did a show and Draper came and Block got a chance to meet him. Mm. So um, I introduced Block and Draper to each other. Then a few years later, a couple years after that, uh, Tomcat was actually the guy who knew who met Rick Ross. And he introduced me and Block to Rick Ross. And me, Tomcat, and Block always worked around each other a lot because Tom and Block was real tight. So Ross and all of us became real, real tight. And at the time, um, Tony Draper's Suave House Studios was in my basement at my house in Stone Mountain. So... Um, that's where Rick Ross learned how to rap with T-Mix making beats. And then we signed him to Suave House. That's why, well, like two or three years ago, Tony Draper dropped the Rick Ross album. Sure. The, the, the Teflon Don album that was on Suave House. Because I actually signed him to Draper. And um, when the Universal situation with Suave House got mixed up, I, I asked Ted Lucas, well, I asked Draper if he would allow Ted Lucas to pay him back his money that he invested in return for taking Rick Ross to from from Slip and Slide to Suave House. Mm-hmm. I mean, from Slip and Slide to um, from from Suave House to Slip and Slide, and that's how Rick Ross got to Slip and Slide Records. Did you see what Ross could be? Like? Yeah, I mean that's that's that was the whole thing. Um, he was he was dope. Like he was just really really dope. Like I have a couple unreleased songs that we never finished. That I could play you from back in in the nineties. That's crazy. You know, one thing I love about Street is you're a hoarder, you're a collector, but you have things like the craziest shit is you have UGK T-shirts. You seem to have every fucking thing personally. To be honest with you, you're a collector, but meaning like you have brand new. Uh, when was that uh, UGK re- album released? There was a T-shirt, Right and Dirty. Yeah, riding dirty. It was a riding you, dirty. You, so where'd you get that T-shirt from? It was it was like one of the promotional shirts when the project came out. Yeah, you, I remember you recently just gave another one to Bun or something like that. You know, I gave it to Bun. That was a few years ago. When, but um, it was brand new in the package. Yeah, it was brand new. But I'm saying, where, how do you keep on to all this stuff? Like, and, and it's you, not hard to keep. Yeah, but you, listen, you have history. First of all. Not one, not two, not but three. Sometimes three or four pieces of that. What makes you think about that in in the beginning to even collect that type of stuff? I mean, like in 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 the urban community, like we really just got we really just got hip to how valuable our culture is and how valuable things are. But I've I've watched that stuff over the years from other people, 
from other cultures, from the white culture, from just different people, you see different things that you buy and different things that they have that become very valuable. And it's like things that we throw away and things that we take for granted that other people don't take for granted. So we're just now like, I'm pretty sure you saw the list, the, the thing about the guy who was one of the first manufacturers of Supreme who put that whole collection up mm-hmm. for sale. Mm-hmm. How much did it finally sell for? It was like, what, 13, 14 pieces? Buku money. How much? I, I don't know the final numbers, but buku money. First of all, Greg Street, people that don't know, Greg Street has, uh, besides being a long, how long are you DJing? I've been in Atlanta for 22 years. I actually started professionally DJing major market in 87. Mm, mm. I went to Houston in 90, Dallas in 92, Atlanta in 95. How long have you been collecting sneakers? From like those days. You know, it's crazy too. I don't know how many people I've ever seen, but Street has... It, 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 Humbly, I say this, and I'm a New Yorker, so you know New Yorkers think that fucking they have everything, you know. Yeah, Clark has Clark Kent has an amazing collection that I've seen uh, downstairs on his basement, insane. But Street has rooms and rooms full of stuff. It's just amazing to see that side of you. And and what's the most you ever spent on a pair of kicks? Mm, Probably. Did you buy the Wu Tangs? Yeah, I bought those. I bought them a long time ago. Probably three thousand, maybe. Okay. Three thousand, okay. four thousand. Okay, okay. That's 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 not terrible. That's not terrible. Um, not too bad. Over the years of being in Atlanta, being on the radio, what's some of your most memorable moments? Um, the last time Big Pun came to the station. Um, How was that? Tell us that night. Lauren Hill, first time she came to V one hundred three. I had actually met her in Dallas when they when Fuji's first came out. Um, and when she came to V103, she would only come to my show because she knew me from Dallas because she was pregnant. She was pregnant with her first kid, and her and her dad came up to the station for the interview. Um, was that Zion? Big Pine. Yeah, the baby, the, the, the youngest, mm. or the oldest now, I guess. Mm. Um, who else? T.D. Jakes. I interviewed T.D. Jakes once at V103. Um, I mean, a lot of people, man. Um, I mean, you interviewed you know, so many people sitting back and thinking, some of those were your favorite? Yeah. Biggie. What about I, the worst? I, 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 Biggie? I interviewed Biggie. I interviewed Biggie actually in Dallas for the first time when he did the freestyle. He did a freestyle for my show. Mm. Um, that was in Dallas. He, he, I interviewed him here in Atlanta too, but um, my first big interview with him was, was in Dallas when he first came out. Mm. Now, when, when Pun came, how was Pun? Was he receptive to Atlanta? Because, you know, here's a Bronx guy. Here's a New York guy. Was He's it? real cool. Mm. You know, Pond's real cool. Uh, Joe's real cool. Pond's real cool. It was, just, it was just so crazy because at that time, he was actually going through the whole oh, obesity situation. Yes. Like, he was so big when he got off the elevators, he had to, like, walk on the walls until he got to an entrance or got to a doorway. Then he would go to the next doorway and get back on the wall so he could move around. It was, it was, it was kind of crazy. What, what's next for Greg Street? I mean, as far as, like, you know, are you going to do radio for another 10 years? You know, what, what's, your, what's your goals? Because you've been doing it so long. You know, sometimes people like to step into something else. Podcast well, um, po- now, podcast game is sad. Street, street's late. To the, that's one thing. Street is usually on everything, but he didn't do the podcast shit. Podcasting is cool. Um, I've had some people approach me about it. Actually, um, you know, um, the show that you were on, I think, with, with Combat and... The other show was actually syndicated, was actually produced through the company that owns V103. Really? So, so they actually, act, they've been asking me about it for a long time. Um, and I've been thinking about it. It's just that, like, podcasting and 
and like uh, internet radio, it's like a, it's mediums that are so easy for people to do. Mm. So it's like anybody can almost do it. All you need is a computer and a microphone to be able to do it. So it's it's like it's so easy to do. Eventually, those types of mediums don't become special mm. because any, anybody can really, to me, because anybody can do them. But I mean, I, I know a lot of people have done a lot of extraordinary things doing podcasts and some people also doing internet radio. Sure, sure. Frankie's home. Um, Frankie's home. <laughs> let me, let me you didn't ask- bring little Pete either. Now, Little Pete's not traveling yet. You know, soon, soon I'm going to... Y'all be on my Instagram, the little kid last week that said Greg Street be banging. That's Little Pete. That's my little homie. Um, now, one second. They left? Okay. Um, so next, what do you, is there anybody coming up next, we say? Like, V103, who's next? Like, Big Tig is there, right? You are there. You mean like jocks? They like, who do you, who's next in Atlanta that you could think? Man, Him. I mean, anybody want to be next? Like, I moved to Atlanta. I had never visited Atlanta. Ne- I, when I moved to Atlanta in 95, I had never, ever been here. Never, mm-hmm. for nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I- Listen, Greg Street, man. Who got some questions for Greg Street? Give him a mic. Hey, how's it going? Um, Javier from Atlanta. Um, just as a fan of radio and listening to uh, a lot of interviews and everything like that it seems like a lot recently it seems like atlanta gets overlooked when it comes to um artists on their press runs you see they always do hot 97 interviews or they go to big boys neighborhood in la uh how do you feel about that do you think that from your perspective do you feel like atlanta gets overlooked especially with us putting out most of the major artists um sometimes i I don't think i think a lot of artists and a lot of labels don't really understand how much more important Atlanta is than some of the other markets. So, you know, it's, you know, I, I tell a lot of artists also, like, you drive up and down Peachtree all day going from Lenox to wherever and spending money, but you're not smart enough to stop at the radio station and promote your project or promote your music. I mean, it's, it's you know, one of the biggest urban stations in the country. So it's, it's, it's really like a lot of people just don't get it. You know what I'm saying? And some people you just can't get them to understand. Some don't care. Anybody else got a question for Street? Hand it to that. Uh, Lamar Howard, Lithonia. Uh, I watch your show all the time. or watch you on uh, different interviews, and you have an amazing sneaker collection. I want to know, what's your favorite Jordan or any shoe in general? Favorite Jordan would probably be the three. Okay. Do you have a, a specific one, like colorway? Um, the black. Okay, cements? The cement, black, okay. black cement three. Got you. Okay. It's a classic. Classic. Anybody? Uh, One last question. That's okay. Okay. Yeah. Go. So, you got a double part. You got two part. That's okay with you. Oh, uh, is so your you, mic on? Is this mic on? <laughs> yeah, it is. I got there you. There you go. There you go. Speaking so you have the gold. Go. Go all those Iversons or the gold and white and red. I believe they're Iversons. I'm not sure. The Olympic Elevens that came out like 2013. I'm a really big shoe collector as well. Uh, you have those. So how did you obtain those? If you don't mind me asking you, I'm just very curious. Greg Street. <laughs> That's why I can't tell you. Okay, I understand. No, no, I do want to say Greg is an amazing. I stole him. No, I do want to say this. Greg, over the years, just knowing Greg, Greg is an amazing relationship builder. Yeah, definitely. When you want to get things, people think like it's easy, you just go get them. But when you build relationships, mm-hmm. you know, things are, come by a little bit easier when you build relationships. When you take time to build relationships. I've seen him like he was on Adidas before their resurgence of coming back, you know, trying to do something. We had a sneaker friends. Uh, years uh, ago. A superstar. 
Yeah, they you did. Know? They did sneaker friends. What 2012? Yeah, at yeah. the Bill O' Gallery. Yep, Bill O' Yeah. Yeah, we had the big Adidas. I came out there. I went to Crest. Signed it. He's Church. in the book. Yeah. There's actually a book to that year. Yeah, it was a beautiful thing. Um, last question, or is it? I got a question. Who's that? Uh-oh. It's Wally. From oh, Tennessee. Big Wally. Big Wally Sparks. Yo, Street, when you going to DJ one of my parties, bro? Whenever you get ready. Come no, on, I missed man. one, so I owe you one. Right. I owe let's, you let's one. It, I'm honest. I, I, I'm honest. Good. I owe you one. Right. There you go. You heard it here first. We, we, got got you, we got them on tape now, right? We do. We do. Right. Hey, listen. When is the next one? You talking about the vinyl party, right? Nah, nah. We're just going to play some good old Southern rap tunes. Some country rap tunes, man. Oh, that's right. You know what I'm saying? I'm ready. Oh, you, you might not be ready for that. Shit. <laughs> hey, you better you start shitting and wipe your ass. Yo, you might not yo, be ready. Yo, yo, you, hey, man. Hey, you might hey, not be ready. Listen, we'll, we'll see. We make it happen. Listen, okay. we're gonna make it happen. Wally Sparks, um, Street. Listen, I know you're all over the place. Uh, it takes a lot to get you to be in one place. No, no. Actually, what happened? I was gonna be here earlier today because yeah. we're in the same building, but Sticks had to go do call-ins from um, Terminal West. Okay, at eight, so I couldn't come early, so I had to be there by myself. Well, it's all good. I appreciate you stopping by, hanging out. With I had to go. Hey, anytime, anytime I call Pete for anything, he's always there. So I had to make sure I got here. Yo, first, he, he, first, no, first, I want to say that to him. When my daughter turned sixteen, oh yeah, <laughs> I called, I called Street, and he was, yo. Anytime I call Street, he's there for me. And I think I just go to show you build relationships on real shit. Hit people up for the holidays. Hit people up for their birthday. Not to fucking get your song played first. Maybe you know what I'm saying. Like I just feel like we have a great relationship. Yo, like that. Who, who all did it? Oh, uh, you got Ti. Oh yeah, Ti told her happy birthday on yeah, video. Yeah, yeah. Who we else? Got, we got a couple people. Rich on the Quan. With the Rich on Quan. A thug. He did the. You know, but <laughs> but listen, Antonis, make some noise for DJ Greg Street, man. Premium Pete, what's the name of the show? Wait, come on, get out of here. What's the name? Is a Premium Pete show? Yeah, yeah, most definitely. I thought it was Frankie's home. No, it's not Frankie's home. Let's take this picture. Frankie's home, man. The one and only DJ Greg Street, man. That was dope to have him stop by, man. I'm so excited that at we work in Atlanta while we did this live taping, I was able to bring people from all walks of life. You know, bring on somebody as an artist, a producer, a DJ, you know, maybe somebody who's been involved in the system or injustice or activism. You know, that's what we're going to continue to do on this tour. And I appreciate WeWork so much for giving the chance to believe in us that we could take this around to different cities and really give people a vibe. Like I said, sounds, music, food, beverage, and and just really great conversation. Um, This next guest, man... Shouts to this dude, man, um, um, still staying out here, living his life, living and being the best person he could be. Um, Trinidad James, man, stopped by, wearing an eight-ball jacket, two different Chanel shoes, man. He talked about working with Bruno Mars, uh, one of his first uh, shows in New York at the Santos Party House with uh, um, um, ASAP Rocky, uh, ASAP Yams was there. Man, he even talks about MJQ in Atlanta, man, one of his first shows. You know what? Let's get to Trinidad James. Um... First off, tell us about this. First off, this eight ball jacket was a, is official. Growing up in New York City, I remember like, yo, if you wore an eight ball jacket and you were able to keep it on you, you were really about that life. Because many people, you know, died over this eight ball jacket in New York Definitely. City. Particularly. But tell us about this outfit. Um, I mean, I have a show tonight. Um, so, you know, I, I mean, I'm Trinidad James. How y'all doing today, first of all? How y'all doing tonight? Definitely. Everybody from Atlanta or anybody? Who from Atlanta? Who from out of town? Who from out of town? You, okay. you. All right, well, either way, welcome to Atlanta. If you've never been there before, if you've been here a lot of times, I'm happy to see you if I've never seen you before. I'm Trinidad James. I'm fashionably late, but fashionably looking good usually. Um, 
what I have on today, um, you know, just do with me. If you know anything about the Trinidad James brand is I wear literally what I feel comfortable in. And um, I just felt like wearing two different pairs of Chanel boots. Um, one cool thing is, well, these are some red bottoms right here, but this is my boot that I actually created. With who? Yeah. Um, with the shoe surgeon really? in L.A. Oh, so this is surgeon. Yeah, this is our boot that we're working on, and this is the first prototype. So, um, you know. In a day and age where people are forced almost to be somebody else, how, how do you remain to be yourself? Well, the good thing about me is I came in the game me and just had to focus on the music after, like getting better, getting better. But I already had the fashion and who I was as a man on lock. So that was, it was nothing. Like lifestyle was already who I was. Mm. Now, even when you look at like making music, and the videos that you made and, and everything you were involved in. Did you, you ever had a stylist or you just do your own stuff? Um, I think I know a guy here from, um, I don't think he's originally from Atlanta, but I met him here in Atlanta named Ronaldo Nehemiah. He's a good buddy of mine. Um, I've always been my own stylist, but I can't be honest. Like when I got really, really, really busy, he was a really good help to bringing me pieces because I didn't have time to like, oh, I want to go shop in New York because I know they got the best. Sure, sure. Oh, I want to go shop in L.A. If I don't got time to do it, he used to go get it for me, bring it back, send me pictures. Like the simple things that I can't do. If I had six of me, I wouldn't need anybody, but it's only one of me. So <laughs> Now, do you put together an outfit in your head or uh, or you just like take out pieces? Um, well, it go different ways. I mean, usually it's different um, influences or like the inspiration for today's outfit is like, oh, I got this jacket, I want to get this jacket off. So how do I want to get this jacket off compared to what I have with me? Because I live in L.A., so I got crazy stuff there. The stuff I got here, I done put up a lot of stuff, you know. So I just had to make it work. Sometimes it's the shoes. If I get some new shoes, well, then we're going to base the outfit around these shoes because I got to wear these shoes. You know, it, it ranges. You know, when you came out, it's like I feel like it emerged so quickly. You know, Do you feel that way, that it was so quickly, that everything happened so fast? Yeah, kind of. I mean, yeah, definitely compared to the normal. I mean, for me, I was in the grind. You know, I mean, for me, I was in the grind. So it was like, okay, step by step by step. It didn't feel quick for me. Hey, man, I got, hey, I, it's on my foot, man. <laughs> <laughs> hey, now, now, actually, speaking of Mark Ronson, you know, um, with uh, Bruno Mars and, um, what's that, uh, Uptown Funk. Correct. How did how did you even come about to be in that song? Obviously, it says, don't believe me, just watch. But what, did they call you, or how did that even happen? Um, Bruno's been a big fan ever since I dropped All Go Everything. And um, it was something that's been on his mind, I guess, or maybe his like, to-do list. Like, man, I want to do something influenced by this song, by this artist, because we had never met each other, but he was a big fan. So finally, when... Um, Quick backstory or short story, fun fact about Uptown Funk. Um, he was working on it for a minute, and I think he might have threw away the song. It wasn't good, maybe like four times. Mm. I would ever like, oh, I can't figure out the hook, I can't figure out the hook, can't figure out the hook, and just leave it alone. You know how it is as an artist. Like You create something, and you'd be like 90%, but you need that last 10 to sure. make it awesome. And um, sometimes that last 10 doesn't come till a year, four years later. I remember... Andre telling me it took like five years before he actually dropped um, Hey Ya. Mm. Hey, he made it like five years prior. So it takes time to do these type of things. And so finally it just popped in his mind. I can't remember how he told me it actually popped in his mind that he wanted to use my part of my song and certain things to make it work for him. But, I mean, it was just an honor because he's a dope artist. And um, 
we got to work together, did the remix together, got to work with Mark. Um, I learned a lot from both people. I, I felt like I walked out the session with Bruno, a way better artist. Sure, and you got a, were able to get, I'm sure, you know, you get a piece of, of, of an amazing song that could to profit you for years to come, too. Oh, yeah, I mean, that, I mean, money, man, you make money, but I done made money a hundred times over and sure. over and over now in the last five years, so I don't care about it. It's like, it's about grinding the way I want to grind and creating the way I want to create. It's like making my creations make the money that I want to make. Do you feel that people, you know, you came out, you know, like I said, it, it emerged real fast. I'll never forget, he had a show in Santos. Uh, you know Santos? Oh, yeah. And, uh, crazy show, man, man, when they dropped that all gold, everything. Actually, if I'm almost correct, Yams was there. Yeah, definitely. The whole, and, um, and, that, that was prior. I did my first crazy show here in Atlanta at MJQ. Uh-huh. That was insane. Like, if you know about that show, then you know that was pure insanity. And then I had to come to New York and do my first big show. Um, some really good girls put that, put that together. For some reason, I went blank on all three of their names, but they put the show together. They're awesome <laughs> at Santos. And I mean, it was a madhouse. And I brought out Rocky and them. Um, they performed. That's when Work had just dropped for yep. Ferg before the remix. So I brought them out. They performed. And I came out after them and performed All Go. It felt like three times, like one on the stage, one on the bar. I mean, it was a great time. Like to come from the South and come to New York and get that type of love. I mean, it was amazing. Like for life, I'm in just like have a certain type of appreciation for New York because of that alone, Santos show. I'm a, like I said, I'm never forget Yams was uh, popping a champagne bottle. Uh, to the beat of when all go to everything's beat drop, like and and, and it, it was a time, man. It, rest in peace, yams. Rest in peace, yams, man. You, rest in peace, ASAP yams. You know, um, who are some of the artists that you would say that uh, you became great friends with over the years? Man, great friends. Oh, good friends. Do you have any great friends in, in this? Great industry? friends, I don't really know because for me, I'm really. I came into the game with great friends. You know, like, my best friend is somewhere in here right now, chilling, swagging in the corner somewhere. It's like, I didn't really need any more great friends. I just needed people that I could, you know, vibe with and be cool with. And I met people like that, you know. Um, Wiz is an awesome guy. The whole ASAP crew were awesome. Um, who else? Chevy Woods, people like that. Um, Chip the Ripper, he goes by King Chip now. Um, a lot of different people, man. Just I'm, I'm cool with everybody, man. The Dungeon family, they showed love, mm-hmm. you know, from CeeLo to Andre. I bumped into Andre in New York when I was just there for this, like, past month. Oh, Andre was, cool. was waiting online for the Polo release. Hey, man. I guess. He's, he's, a, he's just a, he's a man. He, he is the perfect example of being himself? An, an invisible force. Mm. Like, I am whoever you think I am, but to me, I'm just Andre Benjamin. And I feel like that, to me, is mastering being an artist. Like, the best level of yourself is being able to walk amongst normal people, like a normal person that you are, and just be respected, and people don't group you out about you. Just be normal. Be cool, man. Chill. Sure. Do you ever see yourself signing with a label uh, again? Um, I would never say never, because at the end of the day, um, signing with a label be looking at the situation now is about doing bigger business better and so um i was saying this to somebody recently like a lot of young artists like it's a lot of young artists out right now they sign and it's like businessmen the major labels doing business with boys or whatever it doesn't mix so that's why it's always like a, a headache or whatever because they're focused on numbers and the young boys are focused on just being cool 
And so I feel that when you learn the business as an artist and then you become a businessman, then you can do business with businessmen because at first he was just a business boy. Mm, mm. I like that. Let's get a round of applause for that. What would you say has been, uh, you know, over the years, your most memorable moment? Um, Santos is definitely one of them just because it's, it's that MJQ and my MJQ Atlanta show and my New York Santos show. Um, they're very clutch to the reason why I'm even being able to be here and people in this room have any type of respect for me. Those shows help solidify that those steps that I took to be where I'm at right now. Mm-hmm. Hey, let's uh, get a couple of questions for Trinidad, man. Who has a question for Trinidad? Is uh, that the mic? Right here. Hold on. Yeah, what's up, man? Trinidad? How you doing, hey, sir? All right. <clears throat> My name is David Corinthian. Uh, from Lithuania by way of Bronx. Now, uh, I'm not sure who all saw Clapping for the Wrong Reasons, a uh, documentary by Donald Glover. Yes, sir. That you were in it. And um, you beat Charles Gambino in Connect Four. Can we run a game one time? I mean, if you want to lose, sure. Yo, I would love to run a game with Connect sure. Four. I mean, you. I really, I don't even remember the last time I lost in that game in like four <laughs> years. So just be good. That's all I'm saying. I'm not okay. even saying I'm the best, okay. but just be good. That's all I'm saying. All right. We'll set it up. So this quick like story before we start. Um, so in 2012, I graduated from high school. Nice. What high school? Uh, it's called Greater Atlanta Adventist Academy. Very small private school. You probably never heard nice. of it. Nice. So um, I watched your your show like earlier, well later than then, and you inspired me pretty much to get the Yeezy Two Platinum. So I finally oh, got Cam them. James. Yeah, exactly. So I got them, and I got an internship with Disney off of you alone. And now that you're here, like I'm just overjoyed and overwhelmed because you know you inspired me to get my career started off as a kid and i really really appreciate everything you've done for me so my question question is this out of all three easy twos which one is your favorite um out of the three easy twos i could be honest with you Mm -hmm. it has to be the solar red Solar Reds? It has to be the that. Solar Red. Okay. Or the Platinums. I mean, the Platinums are the, the Platinums are the ones. And the the sneaker in me, the sneaker mm-hmm. person in me, yeah. without my personal opinion being attached to it, is the Platinums. Yeah. Nothing is better than the Platinums in the Easy 2 family. Mm. But for me, I think it's the Red ones because it was just such a deeper story for me. It was. With the Red ones. So I was like, I thought my boy had sold me some fake ones. I was about mm-hmm. to fight both of them. It was crazy. So yeah. it was just a lot of passion behind the shoe. Mm. So that's why the Red one is a little bit more for me. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yes, sir. Hey. How you doing? My name's Cody. I'm from Atlanta. How you doing, Cody? Uh, when it comes to sneakers in 2017, what brand are you on the most right now? Um, being honest with you, um, I've... Sneaker wise, okay. So if I'm getting a sneaker, what did I what did I hype out about? I mean, I guess I'm I'm realizing that man, I, I got a old mind, I guess, an old soul, because I still enjoy Jordans, like the Motorsport Fours. I never had them back in the day, so when they came out this year, I was super happy to get them. Um, the hype beast in me wants the off white ones. I just you know like it it does like you know it's it's real. Like I can be honest with you, I bought those uh, knit. Air Jordan ones, the red and black ones, just because I walked into Jimmy Jazz in Brooklyn and it was there. I was with my cousin. I made him buy some 97s. And I was like, oh, man, they got these Jordan ones here. Let me get these, you know, because it's just a part of me, you know. But, I mean, I like a lot of stuff, man. You know, Adidas is doing their thing. Um, have I copped a lot of it? Most of it probably being Yeezy stuff and uh, 
Not Shell Toes, but the other one. The Stan Smith. Stan Smith. Stan Smith. I honestly, I've stayed away from the Ultra Boost just because I was late to the to the train, and then you know it's all these guys who are so cool with. It. I was like, all right, you guys got it. You got it. You <laughs> hey, can have listen, it. You you're, have wel- it. you're welcome to come, Camp James. <laughs> you're, wel- you're, you're welcome to come in because I do think the Ultra Boost is the most comfortable sneaker on the market. Straight up, that's my opinion. Um, only I say that for is because growing up, I'll never forget. I would step into sneakers like when I was young, Jordan 5s on the table. If I was able to get them, even my mother would come with me. She put maybe half of the money. I, I got the other half from working a paper route. That's a good woman right there, man. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I love her to death. But you keep in mind, I, they only had like a size 7. I, I wore a size 8 and a half. I, and she was like, I was like, they fit perfect. You know what I mean? Because I wanted to go to school the next day with these pair of Jordans. Of course, of course. So I guess, you know, growing up, you all you care about is being fresh. I feel like. I feel like Adidas with Ultra Boost gave a chance. I go, we can look sexy and be comfortable. Don't get me wrong. Fly knits are, are comfortable. But Ultra Boost, I feel like whatever they got in that boost, man, shit. It's like, it's like uh, 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 Narcos, man. They got the... <laughs> I mean, well, maybe they'll send me a pair for free and I'll wear them. Okay, we'll, sh- we'll speak uh, John Wexler. Yo, 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 what's is that? Uh, my, my name is Nate. Right here, right here. Oh, I was oh, like, where doing, the fuck sir? did he come from? Yeah, man? I was like, what? <laughs> Trinidad, my What's name up, is Nate. Uh, I'm I'm real Atlanta. I remember when you was down at a uh, at a, at, at a hat stop, I mean, where a, hat, a hat shop in uh, on top of the underground, by, 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 on top of the underground, the underground. Yes, sir. And uh, I bought hats from you back in the. Well, I was a young dude. I had been like 16, 15. What are you, twenty three now? Oh uh, no, nah, nah. we look we, we look older than that. But <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> but. Uh, but yeah, man. Uh, so I guess my question is: I, I remember buying it from you, and you, you was playing all your music. I seen you before you, like real talk. I, I was there. I seen you down there. You know what I'm saying? I remember the right. little shop right there. Yes, sir. I guess my question is: uh, what what'd you do with the shop? <laughs> uh, well, I ran that shop for the person who owned the shop, and um, the shop literally just closed down last month. Um, the guy opened up a new shop. Um, it's in Brookhaven, but it's completely different. Um, when I got that job, to give you a fun fact about that job, um, I always wanted a job like that. I always did. Like it was to me my dream job. And then when I got that as my dream job, I was like, this is the worst dream I ever wished on myself because working for somebody sucks. It sucks. Like if they don't respect you for who you are as a man, then your dream, that's not a dream. That's, that's torture. That's a nightmare. So I, that, that place forced me to get the hell out of there and figure out something that's going to allow me to own my own store. And that's how I got into music. Working in that same store where I saw you those hats, I was like, I'm never going to be nothing but like somebody that's cool to you because we probably had a decent vibe. You know, so I never really had a problem with anybody. And it felt good selling people clothes and dressing people and dressing artists and stuff like that. But I'm still me and I still got big plans for me. And there felt like literally a small roof like it was. And it, it literally, that was the motivation. I wrote all go everything in that same seat while I sold you the hat. Mm, mm. Round of applause for Trinidad James. You know, you also, besides being an artist, you also um, have Camp James on YouTube. Yes, sir. Which has become a, a hit. You know, people look for it. Have you yes, invested into anything else like besides, you know, maybe some property, maybe a tech company? or Have you, have you done anything like that? Um, I, I, I tried out Wingstop. Really? So I bought into like 25 wing stops. It worked out pretty nice. Really? Yeah. Sure. It's, it's pretty smart. It's a pretty good building company. Um, you know, I have some I pretty good advice. I know. I mean, it's a thing. I feel like if it was bad, 
the type of businessman that Ross was, he would have been stopped promoting it. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody never turns down the money, mm-hmm. per se. So if the money's good, they're going to keep, you know, pushing it. Mm-hmm. So I was like, hey, why not? Um, wait, you got another question? Last question. Yes, sir. How do you get three questions? Uh, okay, go ahead, go ahead. All right, so my question is from college students, from their standpoint, um, I got into shoes, I guess, later in my career, and I was blessed with the financial stability to buy the shoes that I wanted. How do you, outside of being rich, of course, how do you obtain getting the shoes that you want and getting the things that you want and maintain that along with keeping them? Because I know everyone sells stuff they have to get more things. How do you do that? Well, what I'm going to tell you, young man, is that as you get older, the one thing about it is you're going to curate your collection differently. So year by year, it's less things that you want and less things that you need because you don't need anything when it comes to sneakers. You need the pair of shoes on your feet right now until they run a hole in them and then you buy another pair. So that's literally could be two pairs a year, if that. You know what I'm saying? So that's all you really need. So buying sneakers, buying sneakers, buying sneakers, yeah, it's cool or whatever, but my personal opinion is – each year, as it's gradually, like, oh, I checked off the things that I really, really wanted. I hyped out enough times. You know, you know, I get tired of, I remember sitting at my old crib and being surrounded by, what, 1,200 pairs of shoes. And it's like, what are these shoes doing for me other than, literally, that's how Cam James came about. I was sitting in my whole entire condo full of sneakers all around me. I had no beds in my rooms, no nothing, no couch, just one futon. That I slept on, then it turned into like a kind of mini couch that I, I would hang out with with people there with shoes all around it. And I but came to me one day like, why? What? What am I doing? Like, why am I doing this for? You know, like because it I, it lost the essence of it when you just buying, 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 buying. You know, so that's what Cam James came about. I was like, you know, let me talk about the things that I'm getting because I'm buying like eight to ten pairs of shoes every two weeks per se or whatever. And um, that's how Cam James started. And um. Literally, what we did, Cam James, for probably about a year or two straight. Then I moved to L.A. And just 2015, by 2016 and 2017, it's like, what do I really need? You know, you really got to give me something for me to be like, oh, I'm going to go get this. Because um, you just curate different. Mm. All right. That's uh, – Yes, sir. Are you okay? Give me a wet last one. Who's got the, the mic? mic? Uh Alright. Uh I wanted to add since the uh the Algo Everything video, you had the the panda ski mask. Yes. When you and designer gonna do the collab, man. Um well honestly that was a brand called Neff. Oh um, Neff, yeah. Yeah, Neff. I mean socks but, too. Oh, man, he had the song called Panda. I mean it goes hand in hand, man. Oh, I mean what to call it is one of those type of things. We only ran into each other one time, you know, and um for me I never force music. Music should never be forced. So, like, if we're supposed to do it, then we're going to do it. And that's just how I kind of handle situations. For me, I like to meet a person and kind of know a little bit more about them before it's like, oh, let's just jump in the booth. Because you might be, like, a type of energy that I don't want to do music with, you know? Let's make a round of applause for Trinidad James. Man, shouts to Trinidad James for stopping by Atlanta, man. I, I mean, listen, he's an ATL zone. I had to hit him up and tell him, like, yo, come and pull up on me and we work at the Premium Petro Live Tour. I told you, he had two different shoes on. You'll see the pictures out there on the Instagram, at Premium Pete Show, at Premium Pete. Um, listen, this next person is two guys, two twin brothers that I really respect. Open up an app called the College of Hip Hop. 
you know, really just 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 just, just giving people info, man. Shouts to anybody giving people info worthwhile. Let's get to the uh, twin brothers who created an app called the College of Hip Hop. Two twin brothers from Detroit. So h- how many uh, minutes are you apart or days? Uh, we one minute apart. <laughs> Could be. I was going to say, if you said days, I was going to be and your brother, you know? You know what I like about, like, you know, we work, we work being a, part, a creative spot. Like I said, people, entrepreneurs, startups, all have offices here. And it's only right, like I said, for people to be inspired by people who want to follow their dreams and do things that, 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 that they envision. So the College of Hip Hop, how was that created? Real quick, let the people know. Well, I'm SJ. I'm AJ. And we the College of Hip Hop.org. Shit, that was like a drop. I like that. And the College of Hip Hop basically started because we were once uh, artists. And when we were artists, we would notice when we were going to all these conferences that none of the artists would stay for the business portion of the conference. And that part was so important. So the last conference we had went to as artists was in Cleveland. And when we drove home from Cleveland, we were thinking of something that we could do to move the culture forward and help artists. So we developed a website called thecollegeofhiphop.org. And we ran a website for about a year and a half, and then we noticed that everything was going to the phone. So then we created the College of Hip Hop app, which is actually free across all app platforms. So, so what's dope? What's dope about College of Hip Hop? What I like about them is that they give information, and a lot of information on contracts, a lot of information on you know uh, uh, the business, the music business. Mr. Combat Jack, thank you, sir. Thank you for stopping by. Thank you. Thank you. Did you have a pickle? Thank you, brother. Thank you, brother. Um, you know, like I said, more people need to start things. I think that's where it starts. And it's not about, like I said, even with WeWork, like you think about it, a lot of things are started. You know, I was in New York. We did a one-year anniversary live show. I was meeting people that were starting apps, that were starting insurance companies through an app, that were starting, like, there's a, a lot of creatives. And I think the way you be creative is surround yourself around creatives. So what better place, like I said then that's why I'm so happy to be doing it in places like this. But even with College of Hip Hop, they're taking their, their idea and it, what they're doing is, is providing information. And information sometimes is, is shunned. Like people are like, eh, you know, people, people don't listen. And think about it. You tell somebody, like, make a left, make a right. They're like, what did you say? You know, nobody, nobody listens. So information is the most important thing. You think about it. And when you're young, if you start working on your credit, when you're older, your credit would be great. But people don't have the patience to think that way, you know. So I'm glad that these two brothers literally are here and, uh, uh, you know, um, I've been working with them and, 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 and watching them develop this app, the College of Hip Hop, into an informational site where we can learn from. So, you know, um, you, you, did you put some books in? Um yeah, we put a couple books in the bags, uh, the giveaway bags. There's also books here. We got a couple books left. So it, we had released a book, too. It's called 10 Steps to Profit from Your Passion. We give them away right here, but it's for sale also on Amazon. And the book basically like the cheat code for artists or entrepreneurs on how do you do things. A lot of people want to start businesses, but their first thing is, what do I do? Well, the first thing, you got to believe in yourself, invest in yourself. You got to be willing to put your own money up no matter how much 
much you have or how little you have because if I see your company and you don't want to put money into it from an investment standpoint, why would I want to put money into it? You got to put a lot of sweat equity into it. You got to do a lot of networking and that's all the book about. But we give you like 10 specific steps and you just relate it to whatever you do. We released it from a music standpoint, but if you don't do music and you want to release an app, you just put your money in the app where we say studio time, you put your money in the finding a developer and things like that. Dope, 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 dope to hear from the kids from the College of Hip Hop, man. And that wraps up everybody who stopped by. Again, once again, I want to shout out to everyone who was in the building that night in Atlanta. It was so, so much energy, but more importantly, people really excited to ask questions, people engaged. And I think when you do this podcast shit, you always say to yourself, who the fuck is listening? But then when you go to these different cities and, 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 and you know, shake hands and kiss the babies, you really see who the fuck is listening. And that night was special, man. I really, really want to shout out to Kayla and Allison and, and, and Eric from WeWork and all the staff over at WeWork in Colony Square. Go check that out. Listen, one thing I told you was dope about WeWork is there's creatives there creating shit, man. That's what we do. We, we are all creatives. But what are you creating? So if you're in WeWork, you know... And 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 you and you got to understand, man. It's a special place, man. It's a real special place. So if you're from Atlanta, stop by WeWork County Square and check out what they got going on there. More importantly, I want to thank everyone who stopped by. Every single guest. I want to thank Trinidad James. I want to thank thank KP. I want to thank Nat Robinson, Raymond Santana. Um, I want to thank uh, um, Angela He. And again, I want to thank my sponsors who made it possible. Grillo's Pickles. Man, they're the world's best pickle. I told you this before. And we're going to have tables of them and their pickles at different uh, tour stops. Head on over to grillospickles.com and check out where they're located at, meaning they're in every store. So if you've got Kroger's, if you've got Publix, if you've got Stop and Shop, if you've got Whole Foods, grab yourself a Grillo's Pickles and then tell me that they're not the best pickle in the world. I dare you. Now, Jason Mark, shouts to Jason Mark, jasonmark.com, and they're in every store. Nordstrom, Neiman, listen, they're all over the place, okay? And shouts to the College of Hip Hop. More importantly, too, I want to shout out my homie DJ Wally Sparks for providing the sounds at this uh, event in Atlanta. Man, Wally's a real good dude, a real native, really just doing his thing, just a real talented, special dude. So shouts to uh, Wally Sparks. Again, internets, listen, our next stop is in Philadelphia, November 15th at the WeWork Northern Liberties, 6 to 9 p.m., um, the RSVP link will be out soon. I'd say check my Instagram bio or check Twitter. You will see it pop up. And like I said, if, even if you're not from Philly, tell a friend to tell a friend that the Premium Pete Show presented by WeWork live tour is making a stop in Philadelphia November 15th, 6 to 9 p.m., okay? Sponsored by Grillo's Pickles, sponsored by Jason Mark, and sponsored by the good folks at Suplex Philadelphia. Listen, it's going to be a movie. You don't want to miss it. Internets, peace. Internets, if you loved what you just heard, do me a favor, please. Go over to iTunes, subscribe, rate. If you you mess with SoundCloud, follow us or Spotify, whatever it is, make sure you subscribe, rate, and leave a comment. It helps us. It helps us look look, look, look clean in these streets, man. I need your help, okay? You got all these gems. You're getting all this uh, uh, inspiration. You know, I pour my heart out on these fucking episodes, and I try to bring to you people from all walks of life, whether that be entrepreneurs, athletes, artists, and really go over the journey. No fuck shit, no drama, just real-life shit. So if you fuck with the Premium P Show, please head on over to iTunes, subscribe, press that subscribe button, 
rate, and leave a comment. I don't care if you say, like, yo, Pete, I love the show, or if you say, Pete, go fuck yourself. It's all right. Sometimes it has to be like that. But make sure you go to iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, TuneIn, wherever you get your podcast and listen to your podcast. Subscribe, rate, and leave a comment. Okay? I appreciate y'all, and we'll see you next episode. Cheers.